Welcome to Panel Up, your monthly pop culture panel. I'm John Campbell. I am Mike Gergoni. Oh, Gergoni, it's the show within a show that's the old show we used to do that's a brand new show at the same time. I'm a show pretending to be a show dressed as another show. That's Every time I think about this, I think about that same line. Yeah. <laughs> yes, this is uh, for those who, uh, who miss the old format of us talking about anything and everything in pop culture. This is that show. And it's a nice break for us as we get to leave the 1970s briefly and talk about some things that are happening in the world now. Or in the near future, uh, though thanks to podcast time travel, it's already happened for us, the uh, late 1990s as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah we're, 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 we've done those, but we're coming to those. Man, this show hurts my brain. This is like a Nolan movie all of a sudden. <laughs> we're, we're performing a temporal pincer movement. <laughs> Yes, man. Uh, uh, Gergody, how how you doing? Uh, we don't often do the show on a, a on a you know we we sort of record in batches these episodes, so I don't get to ask you enough. How you doing? How am I doing? Doing pretty good, John. You know, uh, still d- doing what I do, working on the weekdays and podcasting on the weekends, while also trying to. I don't know. I don't know if I've actually like talked about this on the show, but like I'm trying to design and like publish a, a tabletop RPG book. And that's so that's an ongoing project that's still it's happening. At least come up. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's a whole thing that I know nothing about that world. So, well, with today's Uber topic, you know, a little bit more about it now, actually. Yeah, I do. And I, I feel like I do, but I don't know that I do now. Uh, <laughs> right. We'll, uh, well, yes, we'll eventually get to our review of Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves. Just hold, everybody calm down. Uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, doing pretty good. How about you? I'm I'm doing all right. You know, I'm podcasting all the time, man, as you know. And and uh, uh, thanks for setting me up without even knowing it for this plug about all the awesome content we have here on the Punch Up <laughs> Entertainment Network. And you on our page. stop yourself. Page. I ask the you a reasonable page. personal thing about your friendship. And, you're and like, I'm like, well, plug, 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 plug the content. Stuff. Plug the content, um, personal stuff. I am, I'm made of content, sir. Um, <laughs> no, but yeah, I'm doing a lot of stuff. And our, 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 the boy, I, if I wasn't a patron of our show, I would be feel like I'm missing out because we've got a lot of cool stuff over there. Um, but yeah, we're, we've been recording. <laughs> Man, I am ever on brand. Um, Maybe a little too much, John. <laughs> yeah, no. I'm just talking to people in my everyday life and going like, have you heard my podcast? Mm-hmm. You know, we do a show about that on the network. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I was just saying on the podcast the other day. Yeah, yeah. well, the, the I, I, I'm sure you've gotten to this point where you do enough of I certainly do enough of them where I'm like, I don't know if I said that on mic or not. I no longer oh. know what I say to people in reality or on the show. Yeah, I, I was literally just talking to a friend of all of the shows and Matt Com cast member Elliot Lewis last night. I was like, did I tell you this when we were recording or as a friend? I don't remember. <laughs> Which I think is is good for the show and it shows how casual and, 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 and much we are like ourselves on the show, but bad for me as a human being. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. objectively. <laughs> um, but no, I've been, well, as, as we're going to get into now, I've been watching a lot of stuff and, uh, uh, this, you know, once again, this, this show kind of stems from us going, well, we can't fully abandon this because, um, there's a million things and we have to talk about some of them. What, what this does is sort of, 
stop us from going on wild, completely unrelated tangents in our Star Wars coverage that would otherwise destabilize the <laughs> through line of that show that we've done yes. specifically so we have a through line. <laughs> yes, yeah. Boy, I, and by the way, on that, I hope you're enjoying the 50-some-minute episodes, folks, as opposed to some of the two-plus-hour uh, rants that we used to go on. Uh, which is reserved for all of the other shows we do. Uh, we're, we're trying to keep it under the length of a feature film. Yeah. Good luck. Yeah, sometimes, man. Um, look, this is coming from a guy who once hosted a four-hour discussion of Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. So, um, And you're talking to the guy who did 100-plus episodes of four-plus-hour episodes of season one of Matcom. So, yeah. 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 That's. I mean, there was literally a conversation the other day between Action Shelf co-host Michael Lissom and myself about, do these need more than... Uh, were you talking about the movies or the podcast john why can't it be both (laughs) the movies we definitively know should never be more than 90 minutes long um but the the show does the show need to be that long Mm -hmm. uh but yeah uh gregani what have you been consuming watching uh you know in your life these days yeah i mean a lot of my time has been devoted to video games quite honestly like if i'm not if i'm not watching or reading something uh for the show uh, mm-hmm. i'm usually doing something that is completely divorced from podcasting which at the moment is video games uh, mm. what's what's out there now that that's a, a little bit video it's interesting the, the hierarchy of things video games are all, I, I, I love them but they're always kind of the last on my list so mm-hmm. what what's out there right now that you're really digging in the video game world <laughs> there's a lot of things that like are coming out or have just come out that I'm like, Ooh, I need to get to that. Let's just play a game that was released 10 years ago instead. <laughs> <laughs> this is, this is me with any kind of streaming content where it's like, what's this? I'm just watching D space nine again. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, I'm also like on my like fifth or sixth rewatch of uh, star Trek lower decks because a bunch of announcements just came out about that. Um, yeah, we we know that it got renewed for two new seasons. The fourth season is going to be starting up this summer, and it's already gotten renewed for a fifth season. Um, yeah. and this season they're going to have a crossover event with Strange New Worlds, and I'm still a little raised eyebrowy about how that's going to work. Yeah, they had announced that back at at uh, Star Trek Day, or like like the the loose like we're going to be doing something a while back, and everybody's kind of like I understand what, it is. and and at the same time, Strange New Worlds also got picked up for two more seasons. Right. Yeah. Well. Um, which is great because those are the two best Star Trek things going right now are Strange New Worlds and Lower De- Well, and oh, and Beloved Picard, but we'll get there someday. <laughs> uh, Maybe next yeah. month. Uh, in terms of what video games I'm actually playing, I, I guess l- let me dive into a little bit of a moral morass here for a moment. Ooh, alliteration and big words. I don't know how much you or our listeners know about everything that has happened with Activision Blizzard over the last few years. You know, not being like fully in that world loosely. Yeah, like like once again, sort of in a scene headlines or, or hearing you or other video game friends of mine talk about stuff. So loosely. Long story short, acclaimed video game developer Blizzard has, like a lot of larger companies these days, had a lot of their, uh, let, let's call it dirty laundry, aired 
to the public via people coming out and talking about their experiences, whether it be in the forms of sexual assault or uh, how they were mistreated at their job due to their, their gender, their race, all of the above, and mm -hmm. like really revealing the scummy underbelly of some of these larger companies. And Blizzard Entertainment was no exception to that. And a lot of the people responsible for that have moved on, but a few key players are still in charge of the company, and it sort of makes it difficult to engage with content that's still being released by them without, like, I don't know, ignoring some of the moral implications therein in terms of supporting a company that can, and maybe still does, engender that sort of behavior. Mm -hmm. And this is, like, something that a conscientious consumer quote-unquote, has to grapple with every day, right? Like, I know Walmart's an evil company, but can I afford to shop anywhere else? I know Amazon is awful yeah. and, like, makes their warehouse employees pee in bottles, but damn it, that two-day shipping. And it's like, where do you draw that line, right? Well, because it is sort of, I mean, there is a thing where it's, like, the moral outrage versus the, like, do I then actively damage my own financial standing ver or go out of my way to like backbreakingly go to tiny little stores you know i mean like there is sort of a thing where it's like at what point are you hurting yourself to take on a system that your involvement in you know what doesn't really matter sure and it becomes mm -hmm. even murkier when you start talking about employees who aren't directly involved with any of that stuff who still right. have to make their living at these companies and that's where video up. games are concerned that's a huge deal because when you talk about all of the artists and designers and coders and playtesters who make their living working for these larger companies and have nothing to do with the environments of abuse and uh like shitty behavior that is going on at some of these companies are you choosing to withdraw support to them, thus endangering their jobs in order to take a moral stance against the company at large and some There's of the higher that, that exist within it? Like when people rattle their fists at major multimedia conglomerates and stuff like that or go, fuck you, Disney, right? And stuff right. like that. Like, well, you're yelling at the five people in a boardroom when in actuality there's, you know, thousands of people who are just artists working for a company and right. you have certainly nothing against them. Right. And it, that becomes easier when you have like a lead actor or a director or a writer who is specifically shitty. And so you can say no good, very bad. Don't support their work. And we'll talk right. about this yeah. a little bit with Dungeons and Dragons as well later. There was a lot of uh, talk in the last couple of months about whether or not fans would be boycotting this movie. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I say all of this as preamble to basically say that over the weekend there was a open beta for Diablo 4 that I participated in. The moral loophole I jumped through in my head being that, well, it's a free beta. I'm not actually giving them any money. What I am exchanging is basically game information about how they can make a better product upon its release. Now, whether or not I'm going to be purchasing this product upon its release, probably not. I'm pretty sure I scratched this itch when I played it over the weekend. Okay. Uh, that said, it's a really good Diablo game. Like, it played really well. And, like, if you're a fan of Diablo 2 and even into the, like, the later versions of Diablo 3, once they'd patched it up a bit, like, it plays really smoothly. It, it looked like a lot of fun. I played it on a PS5. It was really, really fun. But I, this whole time I played that game, I couldn't help but, like, think about 
where we draw those lines of moral compromise. Obviously, it's not necessarily as clear-cut as something, say, like Harry Potter, where everything related to that brand impacts J.K. Rowling in some way, and she is the person that those with a um, moral dislike of her would oppose. So it's mm -hmm. a little more clear-cut. It's like, okay, any dollar spent on Harry Potter goes to J.K. Rowling. Does every dollar spent on... Diablo 4 go to Bobby Kotick, the CEO of Activision Blizzard, who's kind of a jerkwad and whose removal would precipitate maybe a flood of people back into that fold. Mm. Yeah, sure, yeah. I don't know. And it's one of those questions I wrestle with and some other gamers I've talked to who like roll their eyes at that and kind of just say like, who cares? Like mm -hmm. what if, if you dislike the irreputable behavior of these individuals who control these properties is it a, is it a, a a moral imperative upon you to oppose those things and deprive yourself of enjoyment of something you might otherwise really love whether it be diablo whether it be hogwarts legacy whether it be ordering something for two-day shipping on amazon mm -hmm. and instead going to a local co-op like i don't know it's just one of those things you kind there, of have I to mean, you can either choose yeah. to wrestle with or not, and a lot of people don't, and that's... Look, if you don't want to burden yourself with those sorts of implications, that's totally fair. I well, because, absolutely understand that. And the other thing, too, is you talk about, you know, do you... do you, How do you weigh that? And then, too, how do you implement that? Because as we're talking about, too, where, where, uh, where does that line draw? Because you could just never do anything or consume anything because you can always find the bad actors or people ultimately at the top who profit from all this right and it and you can you've you've got to find that line for yourself is what i'm saying because you can you can either be completely ignorant which i think is you know problematic uh, being ignorant now whether you do anything about that or you can being be willfully ignorant, ignorant willfully ignorant or you can drive yourself insane ever trying to find a perfect moral thing that just doesn't exist in the capitalist society you could do and the henry winkler character from the last season of the good place right right yeah trying to absolutely remove himself from the karmic equation by yeah. living almost like a, a an aesthetic lifestyle right and you're just like that's just not practical one would think yeah yeah i mean it just it, it's unfortunate something somewhere somewhere the flow of money will get to People who are doing things that are probably against your morals. So, it is, like I said, I think it's all about finding that line. And also, I think key to all of this is maybe not then turning it around and going like, and you should be doing what I'm doing, too. Right. And that's the thing is I, I because there are certain lines I'm willing to cross, like I'm not going to stop using Amazon to purchase batteries like that. Right. It it's just, just once again, that would be irre <clears throat> irresponsible in your own life. To do for that, my own for personal finances, right? Yes, exactly. That's sort of the thing that it comes to as well. And and I'm all aboard the Amazon train because I they've they've done. I mean, it's one of those things where I go like, they kind of have taken over the world. I mean, once again, I'm not like uh, if somebody could create something that could do the same stuff and isn't morally reprehensible, I'd be all on board for that. But like, you know, it's once again, it's sort of me going like, um. They are where I get most of my stuff. I don't know and, what to tell you. And that's the depressing part, right? Because like, yeah. if you stop to think about it for any length of time, you're admitting a level of defeat for the sake of ease and your own mental health and your own financial health. And mm -hmm. that can feel really bad.
It can, so yeah. You get to a place where you almost subconsciously stop thinking about it. And right. it's only when you stop to realize that you've made yourself stop thinking about it that you feel bad about it. And right. it goes into this whole psychological loop. That well, and and I, and I'm not a psychologist. I don't want to spend time on this podcast explaining like you deep cycles of... You told me you were a thing. psychologist when we started this show. So how dare you? I you misled mean? you, John. I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh, I see that. PhD was fake. Uh <laughs> No, I think, yeah, I think that's that's it exactly. And it is sort of like also even the thinking about it, how much do you let that damage your day, right? Because it's like the the other bad thing is to be buying stuff on Amazon and then also like beating yourself up for, I can't believe I did this. Right. I am a monster. You know, you just go like, that's not helping anybody. Right. So when I spent the weekend playing the open beta of Diablo 4, that was mm-hmm. something that was constantly on my mind. But when I was entering my fifth hour of playing it, of a, like, 12-hour day sitting on my couch playing it on last Saturday, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, there was this... Diablo has always been one of those games that, like, really zens me out. I really love the top-down, isometric, like, RPG game, whether it be Diablo, whether it be Torchlight, whether it be Path of Exile. I love a lot of the games in that oeuvre and diablo is the godfather of them all sure so there is a real like serenity that i find and not to use that word lightly but like i get into a real zen place when i'm playing those games to the point where i can sink 10 hours into it and not really realize what i'm doing and like i feel really good doing that even though i'm spending 10 hours playing a video game i know that's not necessarily productive use of my time outside of my own mental health but when I sit back and remove myself from that zone and think about whether or not I'm helping a company like Activision Blizzard perpetuate itself, despite it's the, the acts it has done in the past or what the people in charge of that company have overlooked in the past in order to continue their own existence. It, it I don't know. It's just something I've been thinking about and wrestling with. And like, I don't want to burden the whole show with this, but it is somewhat related to the D and D thing because there was this whole legal fracas a few months back with, uh, wizards of the coast and Hasbro as well, in which they were, it was really looking like they were about to turn, uh, their open gaming license, the OGL into something that they more strictly controlled, which would have really damaged a lot of the third-party industry around tabletop role-playing games, which, as I just said at the top of the show, I'm interested in participating in. Not necessarily in creating, like, a version of their game, but by damaging an open gaming license that has always facilitated the creation of third-party stuff that can kind of, like, attach itself to D&D and propagate Mm -hmm. the industry and, like... Like indie, like what if the film studio said indie filmmakers, you're not allowed to use this particular film stock anymore. Right, right, right. That would yeah, be the exactly. equivalent. Yeah, totally. I mean, <clears throat> here's the thing about it too: that all of this, uh, as, as we sort of, you know, uh, look at this from a broader and broader standpoint of just not just video games, not just the commerce stuff, but any kind of art you're a fan of, generally, not even generally, pretty much always is connected to some you know, money-making business or something like that. So no matter what you're consuming, you, you've got to, you know as soon as you turn on something to watch it or play it or read it, that someone is making money from that. Mm-hmm. I don't know what to tell you. It's just a thing where it's like, uh, it, it, it's nice to believe that all of this is about the people who make it and a one-to-one relationship with their audience, but it's just not. Um, I, I remember, uh, I occasionally see, 
people online or whatever go like, oh, they just made this movie to make money. And I go, every movie ever made has been made to make money by someone, maybe not the person who wrote it or directed it or acted in it, but somebody financed that budget for that movie because they thought they could make money. The guy putting up the lights was like, I'm, I'm getting $100 for this, right? At some I mean, that, film festival. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing where you're going, it's, 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 it, once again, it's that thing we kind of ignore because you want to talk about the majesty of it and the, the, the beauty of the art of it and stuff like that. But ultimately, it costs money to make this stuff. And there has to be somebody with a checkbook who goes, I bet this could make me more money if I let these people make a thing. Mm-hmm. I yeah. don't know. You know, it's, it's, you, you got to make peace with the art versus commerce aspect of it. Right. And, then, and you, you know, to varying levels, right? Your indie film movie, maybe not as much as your Dungeons and Dragons movie. Right. And where the Dungeons and Dragons are concerned, the, the reason people were contemplating a boycott of this film was Hasbro kind of becoming a little bit more tyrannical with sure. what they viewed as their product and what the right. community viewed as something that has been built by the community and that they have Hasbro have been profiting off of. And, and I think in terms of like direct one to because the other thing I go to is as I was saying about like the Amazon is like is me not buying products from Amazon gonna make any goddamn difference in their thing? But the Dungeons and Dragons people, well, we are your direct consumers. We have the there is this thing you make that we like, we can actually affect that. That makes more sense to me. And you have a license of something we love, you are doing something we don't like with it, therefore we can choose not to continue con- to consume it and actually make the hurt on that. Right. Amazon big to do to, that is what I'm saying. To, to the point where, and the reason why this movie is probably still going to have a lot of D&D fans with busts and seats this mm-hmm. last weekend, was that uh, Wizards of the Coast and Hasbro backed down during this whole yeah. thing because the community at large made such a big vocal stink about this to the point where people were like, well, I guess we're done with D&D. We're going to be moving on to other systems and other... Uh, games and like a lot of a lot of other little indie game companies capitalized on that over the weekend where and Wizards of the Coast was like oh wow the one thing that Hasbro still has that is profitable actually they have two things that are still profitable Hasbro does Dungeons and Dragons and Magic the Gathering that's it like Milton Bradley ain't doing them any good these days right 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 (laughs) what Uh, yeah you can make all the collector's versions of Monopoly you want they're just gonna sit in those shelves in Target Mm -hmm. (laughs) or you're going to be the golden girls version of it and it's in my shelf here at home there you go (laughs) uh yeah uh well let's talk about some 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 other things uh that are i was gonna say let's get off of my moral high horse john john what have you been consuming lately uh i've been watching uh a lot of a lot of stuff uh uh let's talk about a movie that that almost directly plays into this it's about video games it's about commerce uh the other night i watched tetris on apple tv on my list it is so good this movie is so good uh whether you care at all about video games it's such a great little it's almost a thriller it's it's the kind of movie i love where it's like here's something that's so ubiquitous and we all know tetris but did you know the story behind why it's ubiquitous is really interesting and weird mm-hmm. and like weird intricacies i love stuff like this movies like this you know um it's a totally different tone something like the social network where like things we all take you go like 
Oh, Facebook. You're like, oh, actually, the formation of Facebook was a huge thing. There's a movie coming out about the creation of the BlackBerry that I hear is great. Hmm. That's a similar thing where it's like, did you know there was like huge upheaval and personal relationships destroyed during the creation of the BlackBerry and stuff like that? You're like, no, I, I didn't. Did <laughs> yeah, it looks really... So Tetris is Tetris is so cool because it's a, it's a movie about this this video game we're all familiar with. I mean, you got to say in terms of like just... Everybody, you know, your grandmother knows what Tetris is, you know? It has become such a mainstay of what we think of when we think of a video game. Like, if there is the puzzle game that you can point to, I I think at this point, it's either going to be Tetris or a match three like Candy Crush or something. Like, those are the two big ones. Absolutely. And and, then the movie kind of indicates at the end where it's still like the most downloaded game or whatever in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but so, but the whole story about this is it turns into this, it almost, the way the movie plays, it almost feels like a spy film. Uh, cause this is all dealing around the fall of, uh, of Soviet Russia. Uh, and that's the other thing that's really interesting about it. It's not just Soviet Russia, but it's the end of Soviet Russia when everybody can kind of see the end of it coming and people are trying to grab what's theirs. Um, so you got rampant corruption and things like this. And into this is this, real scrappy, you know, um, uh, hero uh, played by Taron Egerton uh, and his attempt to go like, but this is just a great game. The thing that I love about it too, that of course appeals to people like you and I, is it is about like uh, this, this American nerd and this Russian nerd, you know, basically end up fighting the entire communist regime and the capitalist society because they both just think this is a great idea for a video game. Mm-hmm. There's a line in the movie that talks about, like, uh, great ideas know no borders, you know? And it is sort of that thing where it's like... And there's a great scene when they're both programming the game. It's going, you could do this and this. And it's just like, I may be a Soviet, you may be an American capitalist, but we both are just obsessed about this, the purity of this game. Well, um, and, you, and then, then you, like, entangle the whole Nintendo thing into it. Because mm-hmm. famously, Tetris was packaged with the original release of the Game Boy. And they get into that about how that came to be and stuff like that. And uh, uh, and you do get the... I always love uh, something uh, my uh, co-host on other shows, Brandon Jones, and I talk about is the two of us are, are, are comic book nerds uh, in a way, but we also just love iconography in general. We just love the mythologizing of stuff. And there is a great point where they take Taron Egerton's character into the R&D at Nintendo and they go, you have to sign this NDA because we're going to show you something only 10 people in the world have ever seen. And they lift a sheet. He's like, what do you call it? And they're like, it's the Game Boy. And the camera goes, (laughs) you know, there's that kind of stuff where it is just, I can just get into iconography. Just the idea that it's the same thing as, I I, I really want to see that um, new Ben Affleck movie about Nike. And it is Mm -hmm. like, I need to build the greatest basketball shoe. Well, who's going to wear it? It's Michael Jordan. You know, that kind of stuff. I'd love, it's still, it's all that sort of grandizing, mythologizing Well, we're getting to a point, and I think we probably hit this point about 10 years ago, honestly, is that there's such a a turn in what modern culture is, maybe starting in like the 1950s, 1960s, in terms of like the music and the films and the eventually video games that have shaped modern society, that we now have a couple of generations past now where we can look back at some of these early goalposts of like 
and at this point, civilization as we track it has changed because of this cultural event, whether right. that be Woodstock or uh, the like Air Jordan like symbol on a Nike shoe or the in- release of the Game Boy. Because, I mean, that movie also, which which I haven't seen yet, I, I said I really want to air. That's another thing that's like, oh, this thing that was because when we were kids, Michael Jordan was the king and everybody wanted those shoes. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, yeah, but there was like a bunch of people hustling to make that happen. And what's that story? You know, T- turning the human being Michael Jordan into a brand insignia that everyone, yep. at least in Western culture, can recognize as like, oh, yeah, yeah. Michael Jordan, even though it's just the silhouette of a dude to jump. Well, the thing is, it's interesting. Uh, I was a huge fan of the HBO show Winning Time that was just on about the uh, the Lakers mm. uh, basketball team, and 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 literally in that show, I did not know that the NBA logo, the guy dribbling, that was a guy. What? Yeah, that the you know that the silhouette of the guy yeah, dribbling. Yeah, that's a, like that's a silhouette of that, an actual person. That's a silhouette of a of a Lakers basketball player named Jerry West. Huh. He it, and people literally started calling him the logo. Don't piss off the logo. <laughs> that I man literally that. that man literally is basketball like <laughs> yeah wow okay. uh yeah no it's the same thing but that's what we're talking about is the iconography of i'm sure there will be kids 20 30 years from now who won't know michael jordan necessarily but will know air jordan mm-hmm. yeah uh and so i do think there's some and that's the same and the movie treats it like oh my god it's the it's the game boy and the movie also does this cool thing where it uses video game iconography to tell its story. The movie is broken up into levels uh, mm. in its chapters. And even at certain points, there's a car chase that turns all the cars into pixels and it's <laughs> on a road and it's doing, and it's, like and I'm sure some of type like, stuff. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and like every time the car banks into like a building, it turns into a pixel and you see it turn flash red and, and you're just going like, there's lots of fun stuff that I love inventive filmmakers who, because that's the thing. I'm going like, I'm watching a movie about people arguing who has the rights to something. But it's so fun. It's so energetic. It makes such a good case for itself in that way. Um, I- I'm always amazed by that. I was talking about that with Mad Men, where I'm like, why is this show so compelling when it's literally just about, like, how are we going to advertise Hershey? I actually just had a revelation about Mad Men, about, like, why I think it is such a compelling show. And obviously, like, it centers around John Hamm's performance. Sure. There are so many shows and movies where you're presented with a character and you're told, oh, they're the best at the thing that they do. And it's really hard to actually show that if you have, like, the best musician or the best writer or the best whatever. Showing them be the best at a thing can sometimes be lackluster because they're never actually going to capture what that feels like. Whereas you sit in a boardroom with... Uh, John Hamm, and he's yeah. telling you why you want to smoke, and suddenly like, yeah. oh shit, he's the best at what he does here. Shit. That scene at the end of the first season when he pitches the carousel for the slide projector, and he's talking about memories or what form are, and you're like, God, I I need to buy a carousel slide projector. <laughs> right, yeah. No. <laughs> no, it's true, it's true. I mean, the, the, it's, it's a perfect, and that, you talk about a perfect lineup of material and actor you know where you just go mm-hmm. like and we didn't know that that was what broke john ham us not knowing him actually i think really worked for that right because you go yeah. like that guy, but you just go like i want to watch this guy forever <laughs> i mean I really, it, it's one of the clearest like that guy's a star yeah i really want to see him in more comedy stuff but you know that's just me <laughs> i do uh, yeah that guy's hilarious did you see confess fletch uh yeah 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 that was amazing 
It's so good, and uh, I agree with the uh, YouTuber Patrick Willems. Why are there not six more of those movies right now? <laughs> like that is just like I need to see him solve mysteries as Fletch for the next twenty years. Yeah, because um, it's it's delightful. But anyway, Tetris is fantastic. Watch that. The other thing I'm really into right now is on Netflix a show called The Night Agent, um, which is if you're into spy it stuff. So generic, John. I'm sorry, but it does. The Night Agent is so good. Does he come uh, at night? And he, is he an agent? He works for uh, the night. He's the he's the guy who answers the night action phone line at the White House. A phone that will never ring. They tell him until it does. Oh my. Uh, and then he gets pulled into a whole conspiracy. It's really good, though. I love it. It's from John Ryan, who created The Shield. Mm. Um, it's really, really top level. You know, when you talk about San Gennaro, it, 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 it's, it's, it's the kind of stuff I love, though, where it's like it's not reinventing the wheel. It's just doing really solid genre storytelling. It's really well-made espionage conspiracy stuff. Um, so I, 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 The Night Agent is great, and it's been huge for Netflix. They, like... Within a week of it coming out, they announced a second season because I guess, it, it, you know, whatever, however many people. Who knows with Netflix? It's always that thing about it says it's the most watched show on Netflix. I'm so. I believe you, Netflix. Sure. I'm so sick of some of Netflix's shenaniganery, I guess, is the best way to put it. Like the way they treat some of their series is in terms of like how long they're allowed to run for seems so arbitrary to me. And obviously I'm not seeing the numbers and nobody is. But like right. I don't understand their decision making process on certain things. Yeah. Uh, no, no one does. And that's kind of by design, right? It's sort of by not revealing how much stuff is being watched and stuff like that. It allows them to just go, the most people ever watched a thing. Trust us. Yeah, I guess I'm still just salty about Inside Job getting canceled, but <laughs> that show's sure. great. Um, and I haven't watched Unstable, which I'm excited to watch, which is the new Rob Lowe sitcom on there. Um, uh, he's got a new Netflix show. And then uh, also... Uh, last thing, and then I'll then we'll move on to this thing. Uh, just finished the new season of Party Down, which mm. is amazing. And please, stars, give me so much more Party Down. Everybody wants it, and especially the showrunners going. We already know exactly what season four is. I was a little worried because, like, a post-decade revival of a show is always a dicey prospect. It is. This is one of the few that's like, man, exact. It feels like this. It's 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 the coolest thing because to me. They certainly, you have to acknowledge, a decade has passed in the story. But at the same time, when you watch season three, it's so good. It's so connected to the first season. It feels so natural that you're almost like, oh, is this like planned that this would be set 10 years later? Mm, interesting. Like it just, feels like, it just feels like season three, and it happens to take place 10 years later. It's that good. Every, every character is right back in it. Uh, the writing is right on point. All the guest stars in this season have been amazing. It's hilarious. Um Party Down season three is epic. Uh, if uh, if you have stars, which nobody does, so <laughs> even I don't have it. I'm still just stealing it from my parents. Well, not stealing it, but, you know. You're, thank uh... God, my thank God, my. I, I, by the way, I hope my parents never get off the cable train because so much <laughs> of what I watch, people go like, "You have all the streaming services." I'm like, I really don't. <laughs> I have like two, and then the rest are just because my dad still subscribes to all the cable channels. Right, and God bless them for that. Oh, man, they need those 70 and plus people to be, you know. <laughs> and my dad will never get off as long as live sports is still happening, mostly on cable, so. What's insane to me is, like, you get this humongous cable package just for the sports stuff, right? Yeah. And so yeah. he and, by extension, the rest of your family have access to 
hundreds of other programming blocks that are just completely ignored. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's insane. No, I've done it a couple times when I've gone through there and you go into like, because he has like 800 channels. Yeah. And he regularly watches six, you know? like. <laughs> but that would be the thing, right? It's like, okay, outside of like the sports, live sports, like yeah. if he's actually watching narrative television that isn't like a network procedural, you go yeah. to like Hulu and Netflix, right? That's it, exactly. He's like, <laughs> he still fires up his Apple TV to yeah. watch any of his shows, but then he's like, oh, I gotta watch the Blazers play. <sighs> Whatever, man. Like I said, I regret I hope he explaining did. cord cutting to my father. That's all I'll say. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. Cause then, cause like I'm like, oh, let's see what's going on on Showtime. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> the answer, eh, they got some good stuff, I guess. <laughs> Showtime, and actually, as much as I love Party Down, Showtime and Stars have always been like, we don't know what we are. Right. We're not HBO. So, and even HBO may not be what it is thanks to Zaslov. Um, uh, yeah. Although, yeah. holy shit, if people, the new season of Perry Mason is so amazing. Uh, mm. Anyway, all right. I love love that HBO Perry Mason show because uh, I'm 100 years old. Uh, all right. <laughs> Let's segue into our main uh, review this week, which is about a little motion picture, uh, which does have a colon in it because you can't make a movie now today without one. Uh, this is Dungeons and Dragons colon Honor Among Thieves. Yes, indeed. Obviously, uh, spoilers, uh, I'm yep. into this property. And this movie was saying, hey, Mike Gargoni, uh, it might as well have been called Dungeons & Dragons, colon, Honor Among Thieves, colon, Mike Gargoni's gonna love this flick. <laughs> I mean, I, th- let me let me ask you that, because, uh, Gargoni, there's already been Dungeons & Dragons movies, baby, so I don't know what Shut you're your mouth. About. Jeremy Irons has no place in this. I was gonna say, can this possibly live up to that 2000 uh, Dungeons and Dragons movie, which had no subtitle, so I'm going to say is much more definitive. Um, if I, Marlon Wayans isn't in it, is it even a Dungeons and Dragons movie? I got to assume the whole reason they threw the colon on here is mm-hmm. f- for two reasons: one, to disambiguate themselves from that movie, even sure. though like we live in an era where no one would have cared if this movie had just come out and been called Dungeons and Dragons as well. No, we're on our like eighth movie called Halloween. You know right, exactly. Um, but B, they threw the colon in there and gave us a subtitle because, like, say this movie does good. Say we start franchise building. D&D is such an expansive, like, property, at least from the stuff that Hasbro owns, that, like, there's so many different ways you could take this. You have to start from the ground level, disambiguating it from what could come later. And that's that's from what I gather is very much what Paramount is hoping for with this, right? They're already in somewhat development on a Dungeons and Dragons TV show for Paramount Plus. Uh they really want this to be a shared universe of Marvel-esque stature. Which seems insane to me because part of the draw of Dungeons and Dragons as a property in tabletop role-playing games broadly is the fact that each person, each group mm-hmm. of players experiences their own individual story and sometimes it can be tied into like larger lore narrative, but like even in the Dungeon Master's Guide, they make it explicitly clear. Even if you're playing in an established world in an established setting, that then as soon as you take your first action in that world, it becomes yours. And so mm-hmm. while I'm watching this movie, 
the first it, it takes place in the Forgotten Realms, which is like kind of the standard D and D setting that exists today. It's where like mm-hmm. Dristorden takes place. It's where like Elminster, who we get some mentions of, Mordenkainen, and all of these names that are like tied to D and D lore spring sure. up from the Forgotten Realms. And okay. yeah, and people like you would just nod your head and go okay, and not necessarily know that because they're just throwing a bunch of gobbledygook fantasy words at you, and you're sure. just having to nod yeah. and accept them. The, I mean, the, the thing about the thing that's that's I feel like that's that's this is a shared universe of stuff is interesting because what you're saying it seemingly should open it up to. Yeah, then you could do absolutely anything in it. You could right. make any show, any movie and set it in this universe. So in some ways, it kind of makes the most sense to do a shared universe of stuff in this because you're really only tied by ideas, right? It's thematic, it's genre tropes, it's you're tying yeah. things together. And what what makes this movie so good to me as a fan is what makes a good high fantasy D&D game good to me as a player or as a DM. And that is using the tropes and the like nomenclature that has existed for 30 plus years in ways that is either unexpected or that pleases me because it is the familiar in the same way that Star Trek can do certain things where it's like, Oh, well we know Klingons have a batleth. So when a Klingon shows up with a batleth, you go, yeah, it's a Klingon with a batleth. I know what's happening here. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, in some ways, like I said, that's actually uh, saves it from being some of the, like, are you guys going to do the such and such arc? Right? right. Cause it is more like it's tropes, it's things. Um, uh, and, and e- even the thing about, the fantasy genre specifically, and especially when we talk about high fantasy that this movie's playing in, even even me not being a Dungeons and Dragons person, just being a consumer of pop culture, I'm loosely familiar with these concepts because they're not wholly unique. There are unique concepts of Dungeons and Dragons, but somebody's talking about wizards and dragons and you know all this stuff, right? We're we're going like, well, I've seen Lord of the Rings, I've seen all this. I have a loose connection to what the tropes of a high fantasy story are anyway. And so the thing I the thing I really enjoyed about this movie, um, because I think the fact that this movie works for both of us is the sign of why this is such a good movie. I, I wanna this is what I really want to dig into is with you specifically about what you connected to in this movie. Because yeah. I, I had some conversations with folks after we got out of this movie. I saw it last night with a, a group of our friends and no. you're gonna be fresher on it than I have because I got this is not this is a brag, but it also is uh is is not great for this. Is I got to see it a couple weeks ago at an advanced screening, but that means you also are a lot fresher on this than I am because I saw it two weeks ago. And John, let's be honest, I was always going to remember more details about this thing than you were. Um. Well, it, it, it was an interesting thing because I, I I'll say I'll set this scene a little bit. I saw it in an advanced screening, which means I got to see it with like the Uber fans. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, people were dressed as elves in the screening I was in. Sure. I mean, like, people were in costume uh, at the thing I was at. And it was a rare experience that I got to be on the other side of where I didn't know what the hell people were clapping for. I loved the movie. I loved it. And I, I loved all the characters and the, the action pieces and the comedy of it. But unlike when I go to a Marvel movie, people are shouting out, as you're talking about, things you have already said, places, names, whatever. And I'm going, yeah, sure, yeah. I'm going to guess... There's a moment later in the film where they have to go, the the party of heroes has to go track down this paladin guy and they find him in a fishing village and he, and he is uh, saving a young child from a big monster fish. Yes. 
when they pull it's out a cat, a cat person. When the cat person comes on screen, did your theater cheer? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. That's because like seeing that realized a cat person yeah. on screen and just treated as blase is kind yeah. of amazing for people who are fans of the fantasy genre that includes like animal people and bird people and dragon yeah. people and that's just like a thing that we love and enjoy in fantasy stories but has never really been depicted well on screen i think th i mean that's the thing though is like but here's the thing that works so well about the movie that d your knowledge of that doesn't matter i saw that much in the way i would see an alien in star wars and go that's cool right. that just looked good and uh, I, I don't know anything about the mythos of it, but the movie also, there's no point in the movie where I, where, where I, there are things in the movie where because people are cheering because it's a, 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 a glee plop name or whatever. Uh, and I don't say that disparagingly about Dungeons and Dragons. I say that about across anything. I'd say that you about could call it techno babble. You could call it glee plop. You could call it whatever. Yeah. Whatever. It, it, like I said, we we're, we're fans of the stuff. I know the stuff I'm just like, I know dilithium crystals or glee plop to other people. Uh, mm -hmm. So I don't want I don't want any I don't want the letters from the D and D people. That's all I'm saying. Uh, sure. But uh, and 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 by the way, if you're gonna send hate mail, please self address stamped envelopes. Uh, please, uh, no. Uh, if you're going to like get on someone's case about not understanding what attunement to the helm of uh, discorporation and El Mister Ordun and like all of these other words that don't mean anything, then don't get also like upset if somebody doesn't understand like, oh, he got trapped in the transporter array field. And no, it's, it, it's, it's all it's the, 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 the psychology and the fandom is all the same. It's just about the aesthetics you like, right? Like it's all the same thing. It, it's kind of, uh, in terms of that sort of fandom of 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 universes and things like that, but uh, the thing I was going to say is, there was no point in the movie where, beyond recognizing that must be a thing from the game, that I like went like, I guess that's a thing from the game, and I'll just have to accept I don't understand and move on. The movie is such a good movie; it's such a good script, and the characters. This is the thing that really worked for me. Of course, is just it's a great ensemble adventure movie. I do think. I remember when the trailer came out and we said this, and I, I, it's totally true. This really does feel like Fantasy Guardians of the Galaxy, which is not, I'm not being diminishing when I say that. I think that's, that's a high compliment. I love everybody, anybody who's listened to our shows knows how much I love the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. And this really felt like that tone and attitude of this is a rockling, absolutely fun romp with a bunch of lovable characters through uh, this big universe. And that is my argument to folks who say that this movie might not be able to connect with people who aren't familiar with the uh, the canon of, of the, the property, right? Is that yeah. nobody fucking knew what was going on in Guardians no. of the Galaxy unless you'd like read some like D tier comic <laughs> books beforehand. I mean, that's the thing. Even you and I were not like... You know, I, I, as big a Marvel nerds as we both are, even us are like, uh, well, I know the basic gist of the Guardians of the Galaxy and some of their adventures. I read the Annihilation Saga. I kind of know what's going on with them. Yeah. Same thing with, like, they were the Eternals. But Nova's the main character, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You go like, wait a minute, I don't understand what any of this is. Uh, where's that talking dog? Um, <laughs> uh, who's only now showing up in movie three, really. Um, yeah. But, no, I think, th but that's the thing that works. And I think that's always, for anything, Dungeons and Dragons, Marvel, Star Trek, Star Wars, that's always the hurdle, right? Is can you make a movie 
that does all the stuff that the nerds want to shout out, but also is just a piece of entertainment for the Mac. Because here's the thing it's like, and we've seen this time and time again. My beloved Star Trek is very much this case. We as Trekkies have very much made the case that pretty much we're the only ones who go to these movies. So, I mean, like, time Based and time on again. box office returns? Sometimes, yeah. But that's the thing where it's like Paramount, it's kind of on you at a certain point that you keep spending this much money thinking anyone other than the hardcore fans are going to go. Um, but that's the thing is like um, to be a major successful blockbuster movie, it can't just be the fan base. I'm looking at you, Warcraft. Mm-hmm. There's no movie that's skated by just on the. This is the exact opposite of Warcraft to me, actually, now that I bring that up. Warcraft was a movie that I sat through and went, I don't know who anyone is. I don't know what the hell is going on. This movie cannot make me understand why I should care about anything anyone's talking about. It's a fascinating dichotomy between the two films because on paper, they're pretty much exactly the same in a lot of key ways, right? They're both Mm -hmm. set in high fantasy settings. They're both using names and terminology that unless you're familiar with the source material are just going to slide off of you. The huge difference between the two of them is while one is a slavish recreation of a story that predates the game most people are familiar with, this is simply using a pre-established world and lore to tell a new story. But a new story that is, like, steeped in the tropes that we are familiar with. And that's key, right? And the other thing, though, and I think the biggest thing, you know, and, and once again... Mileage may vary. I know you were a bigger fan of that Warcraft yeah, movie. I really enjoyed it. But this movie is fun. That movie was very serious. And not that not that this isn't you know, not that this is this movie is sincere, which is different than being um like grim faced. You know what I mean? Sure. It's like this movie's very funny. Now I, I did wonder at certain points during the movie, I'm like, and I bet there are, are there hardcore fans who are going, they're making a joke of this. Every response I've seen in the communities that I frequent, whether it be like those spaces on Twitter or uh, Reddit or Instagram, name your social media platform. But I tend to frequent a lot of them and I'm steeped in the D&D, let's call it community, for lack of a better term. I, I am... I participate some. I don't do it a lot, but I am on the peripheries of a lot of those communities. Yeah. Most people are having such a positive reaction to this film because it is so lighthearted. Because one of the tenets of tabletop role-playing games is rule zero is have fun. There you go. That's the top line. And if you're not having fun, why are you at the table? And whether or not you're having fun making jokes or doing really grim, horrible stuff as a vampire in certain like Vampire the Masquerade role-playing games. Like, there are ways to have fun in different tones and genres, but What's have you? fun is rule that, zero. The biggest, the, the that is the overriding word I have for this movie. This movie is so much fun. It is not just in, it is just, it's a good time. This is a real, this is, regardless of any kind of, if this didn't have Dungeons and Dragons and was just it was a big new fantasy movie, I would just say, my God, this is what I want to see when I go to the movies. Likeable people, doing fun stuff, great action. Uh, it, it just, I mean, literally one of the funniest scenes, I, I feel like that will be for the year, we're only in April, but uh, that scene where they're bringing back the dead people in the cemetery is laugh out loud hilarious. 
the bit where the illusion is malfunctioning and yeah. the, the the illusion that the sorcerer is casting of uh, Chris Pine's character, Ed, is like sort of melting and malfunctioning like some kind of like warped digital thing was so like everyone in my theater was dying at that part is straight up funny. But the reason I say that is I guess I'm so used to the Marvel people who like to bag on Marvel going like, we take these characters seriously and it's nothing but jokes in these Marvel movies. And I guess here's another thing that this movie has over, say, Marvel films is all of these characters, for the most part, are wholly new. Right, you you, you can't go, that's not my Holga. Yeah, I would say the only character here that has any, like, lore baggage associated with him would be Elminster, the great-great-great-grandfather of Simon. Um, oh, sure, okay, sure, yeah. Like, he, he is an established lore character that's been in books and stuff, and, like... Okay. Um, but he's barely in this movie, and he's just there to be a smug asshole, which is sort of in character, so... Okay, sure, yeah. Uh, and, and, and great, like I said, but, but I do think it's, it's, I think one of the, the thing I always go back to with the Marvel stuff though, is I think, and this movie does this too, and this is what I'm talking about with the humor of it. That's huge to making the general audience like this stuff, because Mm -hmm. like I said, in your, in some of your grimmer stuff, I I don't mean to keep bagging on Warcraft, not that movie's grim, but it's very serious, is it makes me go, Oh, I'm supposed to be taking this seriously, and I don't know what anybody's talking about. But mm. when people are kind of laughing and joking, it makes the world feel more real to me because they live in the world, and so they're just like, "Yeah, that's that thing." Isn't that weird? You know, like I mean, like, it, it, and I think that's so much of why the Guardians works. But I think there's a big reason why the Marvel movies are approachable to my dad. Is always the barometers. My dad doesn't give a shit about any of this nerdy stuff, right? We were just <laughs> talking about he's a sports guy, but he likes movies. He likes right. entertaining movies, and he loves the Marvel movies because he goes, "They're fun. I can go and laugh. I like the action. I like the characters. Uh, everything in it is about having a good time." And I feel like that uh, that is very much the case here, where these are likable, jovial people, and their humor actually makes me take the world more seriously. Because it's what you're talking about. It is blasé. To them, this is their world. I'm going, well, if they're laughing about this, then this feels like how I probably would live in a world going like, look at this dumb thing. Look, we're going up north. We're going to dig up some dead people and talk to them. Oh, yeah, good. Have a good time. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, it's that that sort of thing. Oh, my God. Also, uh, we already said the spoilers warning, so whatever. But uh, the Bradley Cooper cameo that I did not see coming (laughs) was just goddamn hilarious. Tiny Bradley Cooper it's so funny. Michelle Rodriguez's character, Holga, who's like into halflings, I guess. And that's totally cool. But like, that's what it seems like to me. But, but of course, is also a funny juxtaposition because she's a big, muscly warrior character. Mm-hmm. And and yet she's into <laughs> tiny little Bradley Cooper mm-hmm. having so much fun just being the straight man with the comedy being he's a shrunk down Bradley that, Cooper. That's the key to that scene is that like. Yeah. Both of them are playing it so straight-faced, and by the end of the scene, you are a little just like, oh, this is a relationship that can't be salvaged, and that's actually sad, despite the fact that the running gag is he's a small person. They are playing it as straight indie drama. Yeah. But yeah, but that, but he's a shrunk-down Bradley Cooper, uh, who I love that he would do that. I I also love that, that that surprise was not ruined for me. I didn't know he was in this, so mm-hmm. that, was, that was delightful. I love a good... That's a that I love a good cameo, and that's a good cameo. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it, that scene was great. I mean, like I said, and everybody in this, the whole, uh, the 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 nature. I mean, you know, there's there's things that are obvious, but it's well done. The wizard who's not good at magic, but you like him. Well, and Justice you know Smith playing he, Justice Smith. Yeah, he does. He's yeah, he's kind of cornered the market on these roles, right? It's just like the the goofy, semi incompetent who you like, despite that fact. I love this guy, man. I'm so glad he's he's become kind of a big deal. He's very funny. He's very likable. Without you know, everybody in this is so effortlessly charming. And that that we we got to start then with Chris Pine, who I just fucking love Chris Pine, man. I would watch this guy in anything. You talk about a guy who just is a movie star in that I, I'll watch him in anything. We we talked about that really not very good movie, Don't Worry Darling. Mm-hmm. He was great in like the three scenes he's in. Sure. But I love seeing him in a starring performance where he is the heart and soul at the center of this movie, right? Because yeah. it's his relationship with his wife and his daughter that drives the whole thing. And the sure. fact that we never really lose sight of that, despite all the goofiness that can surround a mission like that, is so... You talk about this movie not taking itself seriously and how that might be levied as a criticism. The fact yeah. that Ed at the center of this is all never loses focus, really, on his mission because he's driven by the fact that one time he did lose focus on his mission i think is such a key crucial piece of this character that i found so engaging something i talk about with the marvel movies with a lot of the big tentpole films is and i think it's something that people i think people go in with sort of a some comic book fans in particular, right? Going with like, a, you know, they're making jokes. like, but are they being sincere? I look for sincerity in these movies. And this movie is very funny, is very silly in places, but it's always sincere. It is always about sincere characters with emotional undercurrents. You know, it's a studio movie. And I, I, I'm somebody who loves classical Hollywood studio things. So like, yes, nothing's going to throw you for a loop. You can kind of see they're building this, oh, wait, I want to bring my wife back. But, oh, wait, Michelle Rodriguez has been the mother to my daughter the whole thing. So at the end of the movie, when she dies, you know, I'm going like, oh, they're going to do that. But I'm not going like, oh, they're going to do that. I'm going, oh, that's good. Mm -hmm. That's good. We're dealing in gigantic scope. So sometimes simple but clear storytelling and character work is the best thing for these movies. You know what I mean? Like, it's not that's not a diminishing quality. I honestly think it's almost a requirement when you have something so gonzo and out there as a high fantasy setting is keeping the stakes very, very clear, whether that be throw the evil ring into a volcano or make sure the family that I've created is whole and safe at the end of this movie. Like, that's everything in terms of these big, wild fantasy or science fiction settings. Absolutely. And that's the thing about, I mean, that's the thing with the, the Guardians connection with that's a movie about a family, what it means to be a family, how you keep a family together. That's totally what this is. It's, 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 I mean, it's kind of what Star Trek is too. I mean, you talk about Chris Pine in this kind of role. I am going like, yes, damn, this is, he's doing a lot of the same stuff that so worked for me about his performance as Captain Kirk. He's doing here. Uh, he is the brash hero guy, but a vulnerable one. And, uh, oh boy, I've already seen the, the like, why can't we have strong male heroes anymore? Everybody's got to be a goof who's getting their ass kicked. He 
he's bashing the wizard lady in the face with a loot at the end of this movie. Like he's he's making the plan and the plan fails. He makes another plan. Like he's a smart, clever, like rogue. Yeah, that's he's exactly. a gentleman thief. We love that trope. Gentleman thief. He's my kind of hero, right? He's got the Han Solo or the Captain Kirk quality. He's a guy who uh, sure can throw down in fisticuffs should it come to it, but he's more of a guy who goes, I'm gonna be clever and come up with a way out of this, and those are the kind of guys I like. But then of course, um, I guess because what they really mean is also a white guy. But I was going to say, then you've got uh, Roger Jean Page as uh, as the paladin who just comes in and rules for like 20 minutes in this movie. I'm so glad they used a light touch with him. I think this is a character who could have gotten very grating, had been in the sure. whole movie. Um, they 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 took Drax and they cranked him up to 11 and they threw him in 20 minutes of this movie. And I think he works perfectly for where he is. He's so great. And he's such a, his little section of the movie is awesome. And I also love, once again, I know enough about the D&D, you know, lore and stuff like that, that the idea that the paladin comes in and he's the perfect guy. Yeah, exactly. And, 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 and yeah, and, and, and it's, and then that, that makes all the other characters better because you get Pine going like, Oh, this guy, man! Like, <laughs> Jesus Christ, is this guy for real? You know? I do not consort with colloquialism. The the <laughs> other thing that really killed me is when he's just walking away and he goes, "He's just walking in a straight line." Oh wait, he's coming to a rock. What's he gonna do? Is he nope? He's just gonna walk right over it. <laughs> My favorite favorite bit it's such a weird little random gag is while they're having the conversation directly after that you can see him in the background of the shot still walking away it's so funny to me well we should talk about who made this movie john francis daly and jonathan goldstein are the writers and directors of this movie we love them Uh, we've been following their careers forever well at least john francis daly i don't know Uh, yeah i mean john goldstein i mean yeah certainly since they've paired up uh i mean these are the guys who wrote spider-man homecoming yeah you know which also has this same level of comedy mixed with sincerity mixed with action uh they Uh, made game night if people haven't seen game night go watch game night that movie is so good game night's very good uh goldstein's also a wrote an episode of bones which is probably where he like uh connected with john francis daly john francis daly was one of the stars of that show for the longest time yeah Um, but his writing credits go back to uh the gina davis show do you remember that of course I do. You're talking to somebody who knows knows this uh, three camera sitcoms. I watched the Gina Davis show. But like, what a weird thought process. And that actually, occurred. Do you know the Gina, Gina Davis, Davis needed a do you sitcom. Know who, they didn't meet on Bones because you know who played the son on the Gina Davis show. Oh, I really forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, man. Just before Freaks and Geeks, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was either just yeah, exactly. So. Uh, he was on there, and and so I think that's where they. So they've been working together for a long time, because he's a real industry. I mean, they're both industry veterans. Just John Francis Daly started so young, mm-hmm. yeah. um, but they really become guys who, uh, ignoring their vacation reboot, which was terrible. But I don't entirely. <laughs> blame them they also wrote horrible bosses which is hilarious i love the first horrible bosses i think that's a very funny movie well they only wrote the story for the second one so they did not actually write the screenplay for the okay. second one, which does have chris pine in it though which is interesting and the second one is a fun well, airplane movie i'll give it that <laughs> it's it's totally watchable yeah yeah it's totally watchable but it's another one of those things where it's like oh comedy is surprise hit make a sequel and you're like oh comedy sequels not generally a good thing mm-hmm. um chris did pine we not has learned her lesson with the hangover films 
Yeah, that's sort of the thing where it's like, it's really tough to... Although they did write a movie that I think, that I love and people don't, and it's not really that good. But that's the incredible Burt Wonderstone with Steve Carell. Yeah. I really (laughs) enjoy that movie. It's goofy. Um, (laughs) It has a very committed uh, Jim Carrey performance that's hilarious. Um, Mm -hmm. Oh, I forgot they also wrote the, The Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. Which actually... I really like the uh, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs 2, which they also I, I agree. Yeah, I like both of those movies. I think those are really fun. Uh, those are also um, Lord and Miller, who we love as well, too. Mm-hmm. So, And I think they have a similar thing. But man, they are totally the right guys to make this movie. They have such a great understanding of legit story, great, actually funny jokes. Because, you know, a, a lot of like big tentpole blockbuster movies have humor in them but it's not always actual <laughs> like I, I feel like i see a lot of blockbuster movies that will have lines where i'm like yeah yeah but this movie does such a good job of conveying humor on a visual level on top of yes. just having jokey jokes like you talked about the scene where he walks over the boulder and chris pine's narrating yep. over that and like that's a fun little bit but like the whole Jonathan thing in their parole yep. hearing, just saying the name Jonathan isn't like a joke, really? but you say Jarnathan? it enough times. I think, you know who I think would really have an opinion about this is Jonathan. Um, <laughs> and also you talk about a way once again to make it like he's telling this story. Chris Pine is telling his backstory in this parole hearing, which by the way, a parole hearing in a, a, a fantasy dungeon is just funny mm-hmm. in general. Like you like people get paroled, uh, and also of course they do the whole escape and the idea of we were going to approve it. Okay, uh, <laughs> funny. But the other thing I love about that and 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 feels very uh, marvelly, which kind of makes sense that these guys wrote that first Spider-Man movie because that tone is totally the guys who wrote that Spider-Man movie making this movie makes a ton of sense to me, mm-hmm. right? Like, but like he's telling this this very serious backstory, but then they keep cutting back to this like, but it, but is Jonathan here yet? Because that would be. <laughs> Um, it's 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 hilarious. Uh, and but I think it's less that... of like punchline setup joke, right? It's it's more of like right. a gag that is incredibly well executed. And when you have humor is a... coming out of character, it doesn't feel like we're just glomming punchlines into people. A lot of it is the interaction between everybody in this movie is so good. Can I talk about my MVP though? Hugh Grant. Hugh Grant is having the time of his life in this movie somebody let hugh grant off the leash for this role I, it's like can you crank your smarm up to 11 and see what happens the current era of hugh grant i'm so loving hugh grant aging into character actor he is having and he's because so, he was legit i don't know if you know that i don't know if you remember like maybe i don't know six seven years ago he was going I'm done. I'm retiring from acting because they don't send me anything interesting. I don't want to do these stupid rom-coms anymore. It's all anybody wants me to do. Mm-hmm. And now I see him all the time because people go like, oh, wait, he can be like a weird side character or a bad guy, which I love that he's both. He's a bad guy, but not the villain. He's just this sniveling douchebag in this movie. <laughs> and you can, every moment you can feel him having the time of his life. He is having so much fun. In every scene, with every line reading, you know. The bit with the tea was a little over the top. It's like, oh, man, too hot. That's what I'm, and and that's the stuff where you're going like, he was just riffing, right? On that kind of stuff. Like, I would be very curious to know what levels of 
uh, Im- improv were, were done here. Because something that is so quintessential to the tabletop role-playing game experience is the fact Mm -hmm. that everyone at the table who, how, whatever the level of, like, uh, inhabiting your character you actually approach at the table varies from group to group. Like, whether or not you're like, okay, everyone is in character, we only refer to each other as character names, or if you're just narrating what your character is doing. There's a different approach to whatever. But at the end of the day, everyone is improving what they're doing. Whatever your characters are saying, whatever your characters are doing, you're making up on the spot. There's no script to this. So a lot of the humor that is born out at a table between a group of friends is done because you're just spitballing. You're just making shit up on the fly. Sometimes you're going to say, I throw the potato at the monologuing bad guy to interrupt him. And like that feels so quintessentially D&D, so quintessentially like tabletop role-playing game nonsense, and there's so much of that in this film, and Hugh Grant is at the center of a lot of it, because he does feel like the smarmy guy who betrays the party and tries to walk away with all the gold and only cares about the payday. Mm -hmm. It's so good. It's so good! And I think that's the thing is, I don't know how much of it's improvised, but the fact that it that it feels... Here's the thing, because I do feel like improv has kind of become not a great thing in modern comedy. I, I look at, I, I, yeah, I definitely, it, it's, it's a double-edged sword, right? Because I always feel like, and I know it's a hot button issue, but my issue so much with that 2016 Ghostbusters movie isn't that, oh my God, it's women Ghostbusters. It's that it feels like they didn't have a script or like mm. a, a solid script. And they went, these people are all funny. Can you guys improvise a lot? And you, and the movie feels like when you're like, why is Melissa McCarthy talking about soup for 10 minutes? It's like, oh, because we need a bit here. And she is fun. And, and it's not just that movie. I see a lot of stuff like this where I just go like, we don't have much of a script, but we'll hire funny people and they're improvised. And you can kind of feel like you people are funny, but I'm watching people try to make a thing funnier. This has what I like. That's, that's what I was going to say. The compliment I'm paying this movie is I don't know how much it's improvised, but the fact that it all feels so natural, so in character is you could tell me it's all scripted and it's just that good or a lot of it's improvised and it's similar. It does have that off the cuff casual feel to it that I that, that really makes comedy work when it's so character centric. And the truth of the matter is, there's probably a, a decent combination of the two. I would say so. And I think that's the best stuff is like that. Yeah, I really think that we we got too far into like it's all improvised. You're like, well, you know, writing actually is important. <laughs> I mean, that's one of my biggest criticisms of one of my least favorite Marvel movies. Right? Is Iron Man two? Is it feels too loose? That to movie me. is. Yeah, it's almost entirely improvised. Of course, where it's like we just got to get from place to place, man, and you know, and you're going like, well, some of it works when Rockwell's on screen. He's great, obviously. Get this man uh, his bird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's funny stuff there, but I agree that. The the criticism of Iron Man two are sometimes the not the right criticisms of that movie. Where I'm going, no, it's not that there's too much Shield stuff. It's that like scenes feel like is the scene over yet? Mm-hmm. <laughs> did we did we successfully improvise to the end of the scene? I also <laughs> want to point if people enjoyed Hugh Grant in this. Um, I just want to point people to this movie in general. Uh, a couple months ago, Operation Fortune came out, the Guy Ritchie spy movie. Mm. Criminally underseen. It's really good. But he is similarly having so much fun playing basically a Bond villain in that. Um, and so he, Hugh Grant, man, that good. <laughs> I, I, 
I'm so glad because I was always like, this guy's such a good actor. And Hollywood is just like, no, no, you're going to fall in love with Julia Roberts now. You're going to fall in love with Sandra Bullock now. And you're like, oh, <laughs> of course he was good at that. But it's sort of like that. You could sleepwalk through those roles. You know what right. I mean? Like, um, and, What did you and, think of the, the main bad guy of this film, Sofina, the evil undead wizard lady? I thought I thought she was fine. I mean, you know, like, cool look. Um, she's a little not bland because i think she does just fine but like she's very much what i expect i think the hugh i think the smart thing in the script was to have the hugh grant character be the sniveling talking bad guy and she is kind of this force mm. that's there and it is cool when they have their big throwdown with her at the end it was really cool um, i guess the reason i want to bring her up is daisy head is a, an actor who has been showing up more and more in stuff and is a little bit like nerd culture royalty to me because she's the daughter of Anthony Stewart head Giles yeah, from Giles Buffy. Yeah. Giles, uh, who's giving his own supervillain performance over on Ted Lasso right now. Yes, absolutely. Uh, but she, she is also uh, in a show. Speaking of fantasy uh, stuff that I really yeah. ding right now, shadow and bone over on Netflix. Oh, uh, wow. That's interesting. Cause I was going to go, she was on Sandman, but yes, Shadow and yeah, Bone. Sandman too, but Shadow and Bone is uh, really good. Okay. Haven't seen any of it. Um, I don't know if you'd necessarily connect with it, John. It is very like YA novel adjacent stuff. Um, That's kind of what I look at. Once again, I don't besmirch anyone. It's 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 awesome if you like stuff. I'm not yeah. here to criticize. But yeah, that that I kind of went, you know what? I'll stick with my Sandman. It's got cool fantasy world building in it as well. And I, think I like Ben Barnes. Well. He's a good actor. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, but no, she, I mean, I, I think, I think she, I think she's good. I think the, I think the character is purposely written to be very tropey. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, you're literally dealing with a group of people called the red wizards and their whole thing is let's just kill everybody and turn them into zombies. Like it's that's so what I mean. Wrote. And that's where I'm going though. That's where the, the addition of the Hugh Grant character though, adds a lot more to the villain side in terms of personality and allows that character to actually be okay the fact that she's kind of just a trope and and i think also grounds the movie in somebody who's not silly mm -hmm. somebody who's not being funny yeah. it's kind of like uh, it's actually one of the reasons I, and people talk down about ronan the accuser in guardians of the galaxy and i'm like no he kind of needs to be that in that movie right you know people go like that's a lesser marvel it's like yeah but he's kind of designed to be like a boring serious evil guy and, and a villain, it's almost a trope at this point, is the band of misfits and the villain going, why aren't you taking this seriously? Yeah. I mean, say say what you will about Rowan the Accuser, but Lee Pace has one of the funniest line deliveries in that first Guardians movie when he just, <laughs> when he drops all pretense of the Ronan the and he just goes, what, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> like, all of a sudden, this guy is like, you stand accused all of a sudden, just like, what? What the hell? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, and, uh, and and that's great. And of course, yes, that that you can defeat these characters with shenanigans. Yeah, and well, nobody's defeated with shenanigans outside of Hugh Grant getting have a having a potato thrown in his face. Um, to be fair, Hugh Grant is sort of per per perpetuating shenanigans of his own. So you know, turn about his fair play. <laughs> uh, I, I think there is a good like team combo like defeat the bad guy at the end of this movie sure. and the, fi the final owl owlbear hulk kill on her was e extremely satisfying moment in the audience absolutely absolutely we haven't talked about sophia Lillis in this who's also an actor who's been kind of up and coming who i love 
Um, and you want to talk about what I'm mad about Netflix canceling uh, her show. I am not okay with this. Uh, I am not okay with that being canceled because I love that show. Mm. Yeah, she was one of the kids in It, right? Yeah, she's Beverly in It. Um, uh, and uh, she also did a, she did a Nancy Drew movie. I didn't see Sharp Objects on HBO, but I heard she's great in that. Hmm. Um, and uh, and like I said, yeah, she's she's somebody. Oh, I did see Uncle Frank though with her and Paul Bettany, and she's amazing in that. Um, that's a that's a little indie drama that I highly recommend people check out. Really, really good, amazing Paul Bettany performance. I feel like uh, she was pretty good in this movie, but unfortunately her character felt like a little bit, they just needed somebody to be the deus ex machina in a lot of scenes. And her character mm. felt like the one that needed to do that. I don't think she was given she, like visually her character does a lot of the more like fantastical stuff in the movie. I mean, you get one of the coolest scenes. Cause you get that scene where it's all sort of an unbroken take as she's switching between different, you know, animals and bugs and stuff like that. I thought that was a really cool sequence. Sure, absolutely. But in terms of like memorable character moments, as I opposed, mean, she's, got to... a, she's got the fun dynamic with Justice Smith. Yeah, that is 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 cute. It's cute. no, and she's way more of the the straight man to the rest of them as well, because she's the one who's allowed to look at this dysfunctional group and go like, "This isn't working," and y'all are idiots. But then also be part of them by the end of it. I mean, I think I think. Yeah, I think you're right, but I think they were smart to cast a very charismatic actress in the part. I think and she's a, part- a very good screen presence, yeah. Uh, and also, from what I gather, of the cast, the only, like, real D&D fan of them. Interesting. Well, I think, well, no, I think Michelle Rodriguez said, I've played D&D, which I'm going, might have something to do with when you dated Vin Diesel. <laughs> Michelle, you gotta be in my campaign. Yeah. Um, uh, and then, of course, I love Chris Pine going, oh, I'd never played. I'm like, no, of course not. You're a cool guy, Chris Pine. <laughs> never played D&D. Uh, and then Hugh Grant being Hugh Grant at Comic-Con going, well, I'm into a different kind of Dungeons and Dragons, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> I'm like, oh, 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 you charming British man. Um, I found it pretty funny in the... I don't know. Uh, in the theater you saw this in, did they have the welcome back to the theater cast oh, yeah. thing at the beginning, which yep. I found a little yep. insufferable? Uh, because you can feel the gun being cocked to Hugh Grant's head. Off- <laughs> <laughs> yes. Chris Pine's doing like, hey, everybody, how's it going? And Hugh Grant's going, yes, thank you so much for coming to the movies. Yeah. Can I go now for the love of God, man? But I mean, Sophia Grant, Lillis I- and Justice Smith say nothing throughout the whole little intro i found that hilarious. yeah yeah it's like we have too many people to spread this around because i went to the i got i went to the advanced screen into the batman and that was a similar thing where it's like welcome everybody and once again robert pattinson is there somebody's got a shotgun in his back <laughs> it's like thanks everyone for because i think pattinson and hugh grant are both similar and they're like we like doing the acting we like nothing else about this job yeah, yeah, yeah. and if anyone can look up hugh grant at the oscars from this year to really see, I don't know if you saw any of the the, the mm-hmm. red carpet interview that went viral, where he basically is just like, I couldn't give a shit about. Like, he's just kind of, <laughs> he's pretty open about just like, and he's he's an older guy now, so I think he's really just like, if I don't want to be here, you're gonna fucking know it. Like I just, <laughs> I can't, man. 
I just, I, yeah, and I, I can, I get that. Or he's just like, I don't want to do the press. I just want to be in movies for the love of God. Yeah, somewhere his publicist backed up a dump truck full of money and said, please go to the Oscars. Well, I will say I was looking at because, of course, I will, as always, was looking at the, uh, uh, the the toy section of a target. And the fact that there's a Hugh Grant action figure because of this movie fills me with delight. He's a guy who never thought he'd be an action figure. I oppose the idea of action figures for this movie. Really? What I want is D&D scale miniatures for each oh, of these sure, characters. Sure, sure. But having actual action figures seems antithetical to the brand to me. I except for I mean <laughs> okay. But that's where we're just into blockbuster movie territory and sure, Hasbro I know. And figures, baby. And, and I'm sure Hasbro's not crying about it either. No. And uh, uh, I didn't buy any of them because I, 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 as much as I enjoyed this movie, I don't need to like own the merch from it. Um, but no, uh, I, 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 the only merch I've seen out of this movie that like gave me pause was uh-huh. at AMC theaters. They have a D twenty shaped popcorn tin that you can. Oh, buy. I actually have you seen the 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 collector's cup? I thought the collector's cup was cool. It mm. looks like an old like mead stein but it has little silhouettes of all the characters but it's hmm. got this, uh well you were at amc so i guess this was at no I, I was at a uh, regal when i saw the you were at regal damn a cinemark <laughs> but if if you want to get into my thoughts about cinemark they're super nerdy because i think the projectors are better but that's uh, no, that's fine i actually want to talk about my projector experience at this film was it bad what we went and saw was what's called a screen x showing Oh, no. Oh, I've been to a Screen X movie. Don't do that. It was the showtime that worked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I I don't recommend that experience in general, though. I know. And I was thinking back on, like, the last couple of times I've tried this. Because I think every time I go to a Screen X showing, I go, oh, that wasn't great. Let's never do this again. And then a few years will pass. I'll be like, I seem to remember going to a Screen X showing. What if I did that again? And this was the next time in that cycle. I went once out of curiosity. I saw the second Jumanji movie in Screen X. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this is the stupidest shit. Uh, <laughs> I really did not like that. Because you talk about, you know, different things to get people in the movies that are gimmicks. I'm like, this one is pure gimmick. It so, is pure gimmick. For our listeners who don't know, Screen X is this multi-screen experience in which the movie surrounds you and you become engulfed in the narrative and the heart of the film. And so they have two extra projectors projecting at the walls to either side of you in the theater. And so there are pieces of the movie, and here's where the thing sort of falls apart, is that it is only pieces of the movie in which they extend the screen all the way around you so that you have this sort of panorama view and what it feels like most of the time is that these are the sections of the movie that were filmed for IMAX and they're just putting the IMAX bits to your left and to your right. Oh, and what it is, uh, (laughs) what it is, of course, is it's all just digital. It's usually digital creation of like, if you're in a forest, there's even more forest or whatever, right? Like, this movie, this Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves, didn't do that. There were mm. pieces of this movie where, like, there are actors to my left or to my right. Oh, but there aren't. Here's the thing about this: there are, they're still like, they're not, they're not detailed. They're like digital creations of figures. Mm. 
Because I because I looked at this one time, I'm like, that's not the Rock over there in the Jumanji movie. Maybe I don't know. That one of those bits definitely looked like Justice Smith to me. Um, I don't know, but it's it's also here's the thing about all of this stuff, and I get ready for for John's brief rant. I promise. Sure, but like, yeah. no, I just what? thought it was an interesting film experience. I'd be curious to. I wouldn't recommend it to people. No, but. no, because well, here's the thing about it is there's this there's this feeling, and this is a part of this, and and people talk about like. I remember a couple of years ago, people talking about, well, movies will be obsolete once VR becomes a thing. It's like, movies aren't an experience to me. That isn't what I'm looking... I'm not looking to be engulfed in a film. That's a different thing. Show me a movie. <laughs> the art of cinema, to me, is choosing... Is telling people, look at this. Now look at this. You know what I mean? Like, that's sort of the thing. So this whole idea about, like, you can be everywhere and live the movie. I'm like, I, I don't want to. It's a 3D thing, too, where I'm like, I don't want it coming out. I just want to watch a film, for the love of God. The high frame rate was also that same thing, where it's like, yeah. now it can look less like a movie. It's like, I, I want movies to look like movies, though. I don't know what you're... What are we trying... It's always this thing where it's like, you're trying to fix something that's not broken, you guys. People like movies. The only time the Screen X experience like worked for me is the last time I saw it, and what's probably got me back in the theater this time was when I saw one of the last Fast and the Furious movies. Sure. And there are bits in that movie where you're flying down a road and stuff's zipping by to either side of you in yeah. the two opposite screens. That can feel very engaging and draw you in. I heard the Star Trek one was the last uh, Star Trek Beyond was in it. I heard that was kind of cool because once again, you're sort of like when the Enterprise is in space, you're consumed by space. Which that, I mean, in some ways, once again, I'm sort of against the whole thing, but like that makes sense where it's like, okay, if you're going to be in an environment as expansive as space, having that surround you is kind of cool, right? Mm -hmm. uh, people I, talk I, about I would say the same thing Enterprise, about like the bridge of the Enterprise felt huge because you could, there were like people on consoles. So mm -hmm. it felt bigger. Interest, I mean, it, it's an interesting idea. Yeah. I'd be curious to see a film like Avatar 2 or like any kind of ocean-based movie to like simulate the underwater stuff. I think could be interesting. This is my and now this brings me to my point about Avatar, which I'm not a fan of, of course. But but this is me not bashing on it. But I do think the the appeal of those movies is those movies are more experiential, which right. is why I'm not into them. But I understand the people who go. Something I figured out about that franchise is why nobody ever talks about the story is people don't really care. They just want to go look at the stuff. And that's great. Well, it's not great, but I mean, it's fine. Uh, but I do think that's sort of the thing where when I hear people talk about the Avatar movies, they don't talk about them like they talk about other movies. People just go like, oh, the, the water and the They're thing. They're the most you, expensive art house movies ever made. Dude, I mean, and, and when I, I've just been like, Cameron, pack it in and just make the nature doc on Pandora. Just do it. Yeah. Forget trying to tell a narrative, man. Because everybody always is like, oh, it's beautiful. The story is blah. But the... It's just, so I'm going, just go where go where the money is, man. Ditch the story entirely. Um, you know, I mean, Honestly, if he gave me a three-hour nature documentary where he got like uh, Morgan Freeman or somebody to narrate the majesty of Pandora, I would kind of be all over that. I think it would make just as much money. I really do. I really think people would be like, ooh, because people just kind of want to go, ooh, ah. And even Cameron's talking about, yeah, the movie's, you know, three plus hours because there's 20 minutes when we're just looking at stuff. I'm like, that's great. I don't want to sit through that because I like stories, but, you know. Have you still not sure, seen Way of Water? Oh, no. I, mm -hmm. I, I probably won't. Oh, interesting. Uh, uh, I, I, 
I thought the first movie was intolerable. I can't even imagine what I would think of this one. Sure. Uh, Saw it twice in theaters, whatever. Yeah. To each yeah. To the experience of it, right, though. I mean, yeah. that's what I think. It's like I said, people talk about it like they've been somewhere. Uh, I think, to me, that's more the appeal of something like Denis Villeneuve's Dune, which did take me somewhere, but also told me a story. Mm. But, you know, look, if we're going to get into that classic Villeneuve versus Cameron debate. Uh, <laughs> the classic debate, yeah. Uh, oh, man. I guess, ultimately, my experience with the Screen X was just like, it was a fun little detour, and they're like, there are bits of it that work in the movie. I think largely it doesn't, and it became really noticeable that large sections of the film didn't even utilize the multi-screen experience. It would just, like, be black, and there would just be the movie in front of us. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think that's 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 another thing, too, where it's like, if it's going to be an experience, then it kind of has to go all in on it. Especially right. if you're paying extra for it. Because mm-hmm. um, that'd be like the 3D movies. It's like we're taking our glasses off, we're putting them on, we're taking them off, we're putting them oh, on, you know. Can't stand that. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, you can't. Uh, it, to me, I, I am so a purist. I love the IMAX because it's just a bigger screen, louder sound. sound. Yeah. That's that's where I care about. It's like, can we make the movie itself as great a picture and sound as possible? I still just care about that. I, I find everything else I, like Screen X. I just found distracting. Is what I when I saw that Jumanji, I just kept looking at it going like, what is over there? Well, that's weird. You know, are there any 4DX screens near us? I don't think there are. There are no 4DX screens. There are D box, which is the ones where the 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 seats move, mm. but they don't have the experiential the 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 smells and the the feelings. Mm. Like where that, where it feels like it's raining on you. That's the other like weird movie as experience. That's thing. and that that truly is where I'm like, all right, you know what? Just get on a fucking roller coaster then, you know. <laughs> but look, there are some Sorry. movies there. I wish they were a roller coaster. Could I have enjoyed Godzilla King of the Monsters a little bit more had it also been a roller coaster? Maybe. It all depends on what you're looking for. I'm always like the I just want a good movie to make me feel like I'm on a roller coaster. Mm. Uh, that that to me is always the art of it. It did leave all the the good gimmicks and gadgets because at the end of the day, it is sort of anytime they try to do something, we kind of always end up just reverting back to. Oh no, it kind of just works if we shoot it at 24 frames a second and it looks like this. <laughs> the way, like I said, like the VR thing always got me because I'm going, well, that's just a different thing. Yeah. I don't understand how VR would replace film. It's just, VR is great, but it's its own thing. Well, and part of the magic of the film, of the movie-going experience, and why the video at the front of Dungeons & Dragons, of the cast being like, thank you for being here, was so cringy, is something that we don't yeah. really talk about as part of the the film experience, because it is part of the theater's experience, and that is multiple people hopefully large groups if you want the movie to be successful experiencing something together and enjoying it all or not enjoying it all on like a same wavelength it's these group communal experiences that have a different sort of energy to them and it's undeniable like it's the same thing with a concert or organized religions like doing a thing together with lots of people can feel really good it can. Here's my, here's my, here's, here's old man yells at cloud a little bit though, uh, about <laughs> it is I love that idea. I almost never am in screenings that feel like that though. 
because not everybody is taking it as seriously as I am. Sure. Not everybody is here to truly engage with the movie. I also saw John Wick Chapter 4, which is an a, 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 a incredible experience, uh, an absolute masterpiece of action filmmaking. Um, but throughout that whole movie... I got a guy making noise. I got a I got a bored kid. By the way, don't take your fucking kids to John Wick Chapter Four. I got a kid who's squirreling. He wasn't like disturbed. He was just like this movie is almost three hours long, and this kid's going when they're not shooting guns. He's moving around and going. Oh, they're talking about the high table, you know, whatever. Right? The rules of an assassin and stuff like that. What does it uh, mean to be alive? Why do you live, John Wick? That's the thing. There's a lot of that kind of stuff in John Wick Chapter Four, right? Where it's, it's just like it's just like you're a killer, John. You must admit your own, you know, uh, culpabilities and moralities. Can't you accept your life is nothing but death? And this kid's going, oh, I want to go. You know, this is boring. He's not kicking anyone. Uh, <laughs> so that's what I mean. I'm just sort of going like, or, I mean, there's always somebody with the worst cough you've ever heard is somewhere in your theater. Yeah. And we don't have like an Alamo draft house around our yeah. house where it's like they do take it exceptionally that, seriously there. That's why I go to movies. Also, just because, I, you know, once again, no no brag, but because I have my schedule affords me the ability. I'll go to a movie at like 11 in the morning. Sure. Although sometimes you get the old people who are just as bad as the kids. Oh, Some... if not worse, because they're constantly asking what's happening. Oh, what is that? Who is this now? What is this guy doing? Who's he? Uh, <laughs> he's like, oh, Jesus Christ, lady. Um, like, but for, God. Every, for, for every eight of those, I feel like there yeah. are two. And maybe they're not even happening in the same year, but like, yeah. I'll always remember certain theater experiences yeah. because they're indelibly ingrained in my head of a crowd of people all having a similar reaction to something. Whether that oh, be that... the end of Infinity War where everyone's getting dusted and the crowd yeah. is just dead quiet. Yeah. Or the end of Endgame, and not to do two Marvel movies back to back, but when the on your left moment happened and all the portals open and the crowd yeah. is going ballistic. No, that kind of stuff. I mean, I went to the that advanced screen. I went to uh, Batman was all like DC nerds and people were cheering and screaming. And that's awesome. I love that feeling. Because once again, we're all on the same wavelength. Right. But, you know, yes, nine times out of ten, it's like there's a guy opening a wrapper. Somebody sure. dropped something. A kid's dumping popcorn over there. You're know, like, Jesus Christ. That's the, those are the moments when I go, why, why do I do this? I could just be at home. <laughs> And not having to deal with this shit. So there is, there's, there's, there are pros and cons to it. I do think, um, I, I agree with the concept of the magic of the audience experience. Sure. Because okay. in that opening, they do go like, you're here seeing movies the way they were meant to be seen. I'm like, well, assuming you see it on a big enough screen with somebody who's actually calibrated the projector correctly and an audience who actually wants to watch the movie, then yes. Because like I said, too many times, and, uh, and I'll put Regal on blast for this. Too many times, those those Regal projectors are dark, man. I have, I've run into this a lot. It's something I was just reading an article about. I forget if it was on Polygon or where at. But they were talking about how, especially Regal theaters, they do so little to maintain the like quality of their projectors. And yes. that... Uh, they never really calibrate it to a specific film. They just keep it at like a base level setting. So when a filmmaker like uses a different sort of 
color ratioing right. basically right. um to to light their film it can drastically change how it should be projected and like calibrated to do so and a lot of the larger theaters never bother to worry about that i mean i do remember seeing the batman in theaters and being like wow this is really like really dark and maybe that's a stylistic choice and then watching it at home being like no that was just a really shitty projector it is dark but it's it's watchable <laughs> yeah exactly it is that thing where yeah if if your movie is purposefully dark now it becomes just dark on the screen you know like yeah. uh like unwatchably I, I, dark i uh 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 Get ready for you know. I'm, every time I go, like, here comes film snob going. Uh, Paul Thomas Anderson. I heard him on a podcast <laughs> the other week. I love PTA though. I, I the, I'm whatever. He's a fucking genius. But he said something I think is very true, and something I feel. Where he goes, I also agree with the magic of movie theaters. But movie theaters are doing nothing to entice me. Mm. They're doing that. They are not caring to to worry about the sound or the picture. He goes, you're not making a good case for me to leave the house. And I'm somebody who wants to see movies in theaters, but he's like, it's going to look better on my TV. That's on you. Yeah. No. And I think that's true. We're sort of like, guys, if you want to survive as an industry, maybe some quality control would be nice. And I want to loop back to our main topic here, because something I haven't really quite harped on is how good this movie looks. Great. Yeah. Between the fact that it is just like, I think, a very well shot movie, there are some really interesting uh, shots in the film and terms love of, all the, like, the actual the, camera movement. The stuff with like the portal stuff where the camera's going boom, yeah. into it. Very cool. But on top of that, this is a movie that could so easily feel like it's floating in a vacuous sea of CG nothing. And they yeah. go above and beyond in terms of creating practical a lot of stuff. The fact that we saw practical animatronic and puppet work for like the dragon people and the cat people and the bird people, it felt like something from an older Jim Henson production that you just don't see in films today. Yeah. Well, there's, I mean, the, the, the movie does this thing, which I think we're seeing more and more of, which I, I really like, which is this, and what I've been saying for years and what other film nerds have been saying for years, which is this this battle between the digital and the practical, it's not mutually exclusive. The best movies find a way to merge the two. And by doing that, often those are the best looking movies. The fact that there are large amounts of CG in this movie, but there are also practical stuff and how well they sit side by side. You know, that's the stuff where I'm going, man, because, you know, a lot of this is green screen, but by choosing those moments to bring practical stuff in, it makes the CG seem more real because you're like, well, that's real. Therefore, I'm buying this as real versus this. It's all, I mean, it's something I think a lot of the the modern Star Wars shows have been praised for, right? Yeah. The, the way that they merge those things, the sort of Favreau and Filoni era we're in over on that is like, man, everything, because you know all that stuff is just shot on screens. But the fact that so much of it is real and in the frame makes yeah. you buy all of the world so much more. It just... Uh, I mean, you talk about the graveyard scene where they're digging up all the dead guys and asking them questions. The fact that so many of those corpses popping out of the gravestones looked practical, at least to yeah. me, uh, yeah. was like an incredible devotion to A, the bit, which we got to commit to the bit, and B, oh. the just like artistry that goes into designing every individual smoldering corpse 
is like that's fantastic. That's amazing. It that's is art. And the fact that like I said, the fact that I can't tell if it's practical, digital, or it's probably some combination of the two. Sure, yeah. And the, but the fact that I'm not seeing the seams and I'm enjoying the movie enough that I'm also not looking for them, that's best case scenario. Now, something I do want to talk about and kind of wrap this up is as we've been talking about the theater experience and this movie and stuff, is how this movie's doing, which I know people are going, oh, God, here comes the business thing. But we've been obsessed with movie box office for a long time on this show because especially in the world right now, it's a crazy industry. Right. And unfortunately, like we were saying at the top of the show, it's really, really impossible to detangle the art we love from the commerce side of things. Because well, if something makes money, that can means it can perpetuate itself. And yeah, especially when we're talking about stuff that is franchise stuff. And this movie totally feels like it's... It, I think the movie strikes a good balance between... Yeah, I want to see more of this, but also the movie isn't like, here comes the sequel, baby. Yeah, they don't. I mean, the the uber bad guy that they mention a couple of times is a character yeah. named Zaz Tam, who's just like one of the what's called the BBEG in a, a D&D uh, parlance that just stands for right. big bad evil guy. Um, sure. And uh, he, he is like a quintessential big bad evil guy who's just like, yeah, yeah, super evil wizard guy off in the evil wizard place. But we don't cut to him in a mid credit scene going, I'm coming for you, thieves. The the, the joke that a friend of the show, Reed Morris, came up with is one of the big bad evil guys of D&D is a character named Vecna, who you might be familiar with if you lost watched the last season of... What, uh, what are you talking about? It, it reads out of his mind because Vecna is clearly the villain of Stranger Things. Uh, in, in D&D terms, yeah. Vecna is a character who's famously is missing a hand and an eye and those are two like artifacts out in the world that adventurers can find is the hand of Vecna and the eye of Vecna mm -hmm. and the post credit scene of this movie would have been Vecna approaching his dismembered hand and going fine I'll take care of it myself and yeah. sliding his hand onto himself they did the smart because we've how many fantasy movies have we been to that are like Aragon going, I have a dragon too, says John Malkovich. And you're like, you're never, you're never making a fucking another one of these. Don't, and don't, those are, don't bring those Aragon are, into this, John. But I mean, there's, I feel like we've seen so many franchise starters, the golden combo. I feel like you and I in particular, I've been to many movies with you where it's been like, and it's always so embarrassing when you know in the moment going like, oh, you guys aren't going to get us. No, you guys really like, you're way too confident. This movie strikes that, Star Wars and New Hope thing where it's like it has an ending, but the threads are there to pick up. Uh, mm -hmm. But it's a totally satisfying, uh, you know, A to B to C experience. Yeah, exactly. Movie. Yeah. And totally. I, that's the best way to do that, uh, especially for something like this, which leads us to I have this movie's in a real weird place box office wise because I read 38.5 million opening week and I went, oh, shit. Uh oh. Mm -hmm. And then everybody else is going like, I don't though because i'm going like a franchise but the thing is there's nothing to compare this to which works in this movie's favor yeah. there's no other dungeons and dragons movies really i'm sorry to fans of the i'm sorry sorry to the fan of the 2000 movie <laughs> that one guy jeremy yeah. um, jeremy the one guy <laughs> uh the the thing they're comparing it to is uncharted which made 44 million domestically and Who, that was doing this comparison a hollywood reporter Okay, because, yeah, I'm just looking at Box Office Mojo, and I'm looking at the takes that they now have estimated from Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Yeah. So they're going, yeah, we're looking at 38.5, according to Hollywood Reporter, which is, you know, uh, uh, just taking from the, the Paramount estimates. 
mm-hmm. but apparently Paramount is happy with this. And like I said, uh, the 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 thing is, yeah, Uncharted made forty four million opening weekend, and that was deemed a success. And they're making a sequel to that, so um, you know, okay, yeah, uh, it looks like thirty three overseas. The the budget for this film, the estimate I'm seeing is 150 million. Right now, it's made 38.5 domestic, and its gross yeah. worldwide is 71.5. Yeah, that's what and I that's to just hear. in its opening weekend. Yeah, so it's probably going to make its money back unless the drop off is insane. But the the good thing is, and, and once again, it's always tough to judge word of mouth. But the movie received an A minus cinema score, so that means whoever the people who bothered to that's always the thing i go the people who came out of the theater where they were giving out cards and who actually bothered to fill out the cards mm-hmm. generally liked it the re, the the critics reviews have been great yeah so i mean word is good um the thing and, that i think is most promising about this is that it has a pretty clear runway in terms of like, yeah. what's coming out from here on out well uh, kind of Kind of, but in terms of like what it actually has to compete with for the next couple of weeks, uh, yeah. the the only thing I can see that actually is going to like take a big chunk out of this. I'm indicating my mustache and I'm doing this because of Mario. Sure, Mario is coming and nothing will stop the Mario juggernaut, but nothing this, is. that is undeniably like the big nerd family movie right but for like maybe older teens early 20s who maybe aren't gonna go out and see the super mario bros movie this could still be decent counter programming for that sure uh yeah i I, the thing is this one really is truly i don't know i'm i'm really curious to see but i i think i want to bring this up in 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 the point i wanted to look at the the numbers on this because they're going 38.5 million they're going hey that's pretty good for opening weekend Meanwhile, industry, I keep reading industry things about why Ant-Man Quantumania is a failure, and that's made $471.8 million. Right. And yeah. that's considered a failure. Because it's a Marvel movie that made less than a billion, and the box office math is completely broken because of Marvel scale these days. That's what I'm saying. It's like the thing that the thing that's interesting is because there is nothing to compare, this is now like setting the barometer for Dungeons & Dragons. They're going like, pretty good. We got people to go to... While a brand that certainly has a fan base and is a thing everybody's loosely familiar with, the Dungeons and Dragons game, mm-hmm. I think in terms of we're still, it's still kind of a new pitch as a movie franchise, right? So they're going like, okay, we're kind of testing the waters with this one. Whereas, oh, I mean, I'm sorry, I'm still mad about the Ant Man thing because sure. I'm like, in what world? The movie cost $200 million, it made 471.8. It more than doubled its budget. In what world is that a bomb? Well, and that's reported budget because you never know in terms of like what they spent on merchandising and all that. But or what they made on merchandising though too. That's also true. Yeah, those Modoc plushies are selling like hotcakes. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> what I'm most curious about when it comes to the D and D movie and like the raw numbers of it all is the multiplier, right? Which for those who don't know is like how badly does this movie drop off? in the following weeks because we've seen movies that like do okay their opening weekend and then effectively don't exist within seven days it's it's a big change in box office right because it used to be people always talk about this back in the 80s a movie would be number one at the box office for like 10 weeks right you know ghostbusters would make a little bit of money every week and be the highest grossing movie of the year but it didn't make all of its money up front people just keep going and going and going 
And the last movie I can think of that had anywhere close to that trend is Iron Man back in 2008. Yeah, uh, you know what kind of had it a little bit, although once again, we're in the weird pandemic thing, was Top Gun Maverick, actually, where that yeah. like went to number two, then went back up to number one. Mm. Uh, you know, that that kind of had that. But yeah, it is sort of that. Uh, yeah, that it, 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 Iron Man for sure had that, though, where it just kept coming back around. Um, people would go to it uh, again and again and again. But we do live in this world now where it is like opening weekend. You've got to make the vast majority of your money opening weekend. Right. But what I'm curious about with this film is whether or not word of mouth can sustain it for the following week and maybe into the Mario weekend. Obviously, I think the Mario is That's probably going to destroy. Like the big, the big question is how much is Mario? How much of the audience is Mario going to take? Right. Yeah. And um, I don't know. There are plenty of people who like don't want to see a Illumination Studios movie just on a baseline. And like, there's plenty of people who's like, ugh, animated films, no thank you, regardless well, of the content. At, I'm looking at an industry projection, right? So take oh, from this what you will. Yeah, the big grain of salt there. Uh, 85 to 90, they're projecting for Mario. Opening weekend or total? That's opening weekend. I mean, yeah, who knows? Maybe. I, I have no idea what that projection is based on. The, the tra get this, uh, Gurgani, you can't believe it. The pick is uh, uh, tracking well with boys and girls under 12. Shocking. <laughs> You're saying the studio uh, that made the Minions movie is pitching towards little kids? But also, they talk about this also tracking well with self-identified gamers under 25. Sure, and that's the thing. It's like you you got the nostalgia play here where Dungeons & Dragons has a much smaller percentage of that like yeah. brand recognition. Everybody knows Mario. Everyone can go, wahoo! Yeah, that I mean, I said, I, there's no question Mario will be number one next weekend. I think, like I said, the biggest thing is how much does it eat away at the Dungeons and Dragons crowd? I don't know. The, the thing is, we've got, it's we're coming into Easter weekend, so. Well, and you know, the Lord and Savior, when he rose, he really wanted to make sure that everyone was making their saving throws against Fireball. So that's, <laughs> Jesus saves, John, and when you do save, you take half damage. <laughs> So we'll see. I don't know. I'm 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 curious. I mean, I I've I've seen this. I, I'm sure I'll go see Mario, um, because sure. I mean, it looks <laughs> actually. I mean, it's it's fun to joke about because it's big and but it looks pretty good. Really, I don't know. Those trailers look pretty solid. Yeah, I'm, surprised. I'm, I'm still not sold on Chris Pratt as uh. Yeah, everybody's got to get. Chris Pratt is Mario. I mean, it just it just is. I don't know. I know. I'm just saying, in terms of my my Hollywood Chris rankings, I'm gonna take Pine over Pratt any day of the week. Uh, yeah, I put Pine at number one. I think he's my favorite of the Chris's, but I do like <laughs> Pratt. That's um, okay, but I think he's bottom of the barrel in terms of my favorite Chris's in Hollywood. Oh, I don't know. I don't know if I'd put him at the bottom, but I I, I do. I mean, I like I like. Is he above Pine. Hemsworth? Ooh, that's a tough one. See, that's that's they're they're next. Is he above neck. Evans? He's not above Evans. I'm a I'm a pine that's in Evans. Four, that's four Chris's down right there. <laughs> I'm just saying. I mean, Pratt is a real, you know, it's 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 a real we just need a movie star in this part. <laughs> um, you know, I don't know the, I don't know about the uh the the having the guy from the games play it. Um, because that would be uh I'm I think not I even might... saying that. I was just like why because I've met those people that would go, it better be Charles Martin and I'm like that that would I'd have to shoot myself in the theater to say that's point. like saying like well we better have Jaleel White as Sonic. Yeah, that's sort of the thing where I'm like yeah I I, I agree it is 
Chris Pratt, I don't have I don't have an issue with it, but it's more just like, boy, you guys didn't put a whole lot of thought into that, did you? Right. Like my, just, my it feels very low with, effort. It it's not even with Chris Pratt, it's just with a that's that's just literally the first name that was on a list for anything, isn't it? <laughs> right, exactly. Because I think all the other casting in that is much more clever. I mean I Charlie Day inspired Lu- casting in there. I mean yeah. Charlie Day is Luigi for whatever people don't like about Chris Pratt as Mario, Charlie Day as Luigi make more than makes up for that, I think, which is so good. Jack Black is Bowser, Seth Rogen is Donkey Kong. Come on, man. That's that was born to him. Yeah, he was you born could have him. just taken off all of his clothes and given him a tie with DK on it, and I probably wouldn't be able to tell the difference. <laughs> Speaking of do we talk about this already? I don't know if we did or not, but just because that reminds me. Real quick before we go, do we talk about your th- our thoughts on the Ninja Turtles trailer from Seth Rogen? Oh, we haven't. Um, I am super into it. It looks I like a very interesting cool. art style, and I dig the vibe they're going for. Yeah, the art style really got me, too. It almost seems, it's not exactly the same, but it seems to have some of the same thought behind it as the Spider-Verse stuff, where it's sort of creating this, like, digital but cel-shaded with line, almost like comic book art lines in it. It is trying... It's really funny to me that CG animation has kind of looped back around to get us to realize that, no, 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 2D animation actually looks great and amazing and we love it so much, but we've kind of had to, like, come full circle on that so that CG animation can now replicate what people love so much about sketchy, imperfect hand-drawn animation. The same thing I feel about the Lego movies where they basically went, like, how do we use CG to make stop motion, you know? like Yeah, exactly. It's so weird that we just keep going back to... Actually, that stuff looked amazing for a reason. Well, it it does feel like CG got so good at replicating very real looking things that people go like, I kind of want cartoons to look like cartoons, though. Yeah, exactly. And I love the design of it. I, 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 I love that they cast real teenagers as the turtles, which has never happened. A novel idea, right? A novel idea. But it immediately, as soon as they started talking, I'm like, oh, my God, they sound like kids. They've never sounded like kids. <laughs> it's great. Uh, I can't wait for John Cena and Seth Rogen as the voices of Bebop and Rocksteady. That's, that's yeah, brilliant. Funny. Uh, Jackie Chan as Splinter. Come on, man, that's Perfect. what I need in my life. Yeah, um, it looks so much fun. And if you got a problem with Black April O'Neil, shut the fuck up. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to tell you, man. My my thing is like they go. I go what. She seemed to have red hair and a yellow coat. I'm satisfied. <laughs> was she not reporting on the situation? I believe she was. She did seem to be interviewing them and taking notes. Uh, also, <laughs> legitimately, talk about legitimately funny, that bit about ooze versus goo. Mm-hmm. Funny stuff, man. It's ooze. It just rolls off the tongue better. Ooze. Yeah, and Seth Rogen, man, he's just doing what we'd be doing with his money and cloud by going, oh, I'm just going to make stuff of all the comic books that I like. Sure. Yeah, no, and... Look, the fact that we're leaning into the mutant side of things, which is always like the fun part of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles that some of the more mainstream versions of that property hasn't. It's just like, no, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is really weird and really bizarre. And there's lots of animal people running around. Well, especially if you were kids like us who collected all the toys as kids, we know all the weird stuff. Oh, that's another thing. Giancarlo Esposito is the voice of Baxter Stockman. Yes. Great (laughs) choice. Um. Yeah, I can't wait. I think that looks like a lot of fun. We'll probably talk about that on here. When oh, I'm really sure. Fun. Yeah, I'm sure we will. <laughs> Talking about the Ninja Turtles. Uh, and there was actually so- just an announcement that they're doing a uh large open world like 
action game based on Last Ronin, which I found very fascinating, like an Arkham did hear about that game. I am very excited about that because if you haven't read Last Ronin, man, what a cool entry in the Ninja Turtles canon. Yeah, uh, it's, it's very much like the Dark Knight Returns of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles story. The first time Eastman and Laird have done a story together in years. Yeah. Um, I can't recommend that enough. It's so good. Uh, so we'll talk uh, next next month on the show when we get back to because we'll be, just be back to the seventies next week on this show. Woohoo! On, on the main show, back to the seventies for a whole new story arc. Um, <laughs> yeah, sure it'll be fine. I'm sure it'll be fine. And you know what's interesting? We 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 recorded it. And I, oh no, I do remember it now. Okay, it's about pirates. Yeah. <laughs> Do you guys like pirates? And do you think pirates should be in Star Wars? But not space pirates, like pirate pirates. But also, there are space pirates, because lest we forget, Crimson Jack is... Never forget Crimson Jack, it's coming back. Um, But we will, uh, for the first time with this new format, we will be talking about Star Wars on this show next month, I believe. Am I correct on this? Will Mandalorian be... Yeah, it should be done by then. You're the one with this (laughs) calendar, John. I just know what I'm watching every week on Wednesdays. Uh, yeah, I know. That's the thing. Right? Let me look this up because I, I think, should this work? Oh, I love people get to watch us schedule the podcast in real time. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, Last episode of The Mandalorian uh, debuts on April 19th, so yes. Perfect. Okay. Then we will get to talk about the new season of Mandalorian and the new season of Picard. We're going to check in on both star shows next next month on Panel Up. We will defy the basic convention that those two things must forever be in opposition to each other and unite them finally in audio form. Trek and wars together. And I promise I will try not to cry like I do every week when I watch Picard because it is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. <laughs> Boy, it's, it's yeah, it's embarrassing over here sometimes. Um, sometimes? But, uh, a lot of time, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thank God I live alone because sometimes I'm just like... <laughs> Jordy LaForge. Um, <laughs> uh, but yes, yeah, so that's good. As mentioned, we do have lots of other uh, content over on our patron page, which is patron.podbean.com slash punch up. Uh, we also have content at new levels now. That's right. Uh, for just $5 a month, you can get the uh, Kolchak, the Night Stalker rewatch podcast, which is called Night's Talking. If you want to hear Brendan, jo- Brendan Jones and I go through every episode and by that, I mean all 20 of them <laughs> of Kolchak the Night Stalker. It's a not brief miniseries. Not not doing the remake uh, show? Oh, so I so I tried. Somebody put the kibosh on that and said, <laughs> I will not watch that. Uh, and fair enough. It really isn't a thing. It really isn't anything to do with the old show, hardly. Um, no. But whatever. I, I wanted to do it. But... <laughs> But anyway, we still have plenty more weeks of that ahead on uh, over there. Uh, and at the $10 level, there's a new weekly show called The Last to Be Curious that just started, uh, which is uh, a reaction show to uh, franchise films. And uh, the first series of that will be about, much like the title suggests, uh, Brendan Jones and Michael Lisman watching the Fast and Furious movies, a.k.a. The Fast Saga. And I believe you've already started in on that, right? Like we've already what? started. We've already started. We've recorded the first six episodes, and it's coming okay. out weekly. So I think the I think the second episode will be coming out just as this is can, as this. Can you give this. me a brief like what were their first glancing uh, reactions to the, those early Halcyon days of the family? Uh, you know, <laughs> they 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 are they are at the moment having trouble with some of the appeal of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it 
feels a little dated early mm-hmm. on. Oh now, no, like, really? Yeah, there's definitely there's a lot of there's a lot when, of two 2000- thousand stealing uh, TV VCR combos. I will say, like most people, uh, as a little preview, uh, they start to have more fun as the movies get more cartoonish. So yeah, uh, at a certain point, and uh, I did uh, based on listener demand, we are doing Tokyo Drift, yes. but. We are doing it in its place chronologically, story-wise, oh, not released. Okay. Which is actually very interesting to do because it's hilarious to think that movie is pretending not to be taking place in the mid two thousands. Because you're like, chronologically, wait, it would be taking place in like two thousand fifteen or something. Yeah, and yet everybody's got like flip phones. And stuff. Uh-huh. Like, yeah. Wait a- um, and also particularly funny to watch that and Furious 7 and watch Lucas Black age 10 years in supposedly a scene that takes place right after the end of Tokyo Drift. <laughs> Very funny. Very fun. So, yes, folks, there will be a Tokyo Drift reaction. And uh, also spoilers on that. They didn't like that one. <laughs> Turns out a lot of people didn't. It's not good, you guys. I know there are Tokyo Drift fans out there, but I'm I'm sorry. It's really not very good. It had Han- one salvageable character. It had one. Sa- they they took the only thing that worked about it and put him in the other movies. Um. So yeah. Uh. So yeah. Check all that out. Uh. That's at the ten dollar level. Um. And and then plenty of other stuff from Material Components also on there. And uh. Also, oh, you also get early access to episodes of Campbell and Jones Meet the Monsters. As well as all the episodes uh, of uh, commentary that you do for the action shelf for good action films, for good action films, uh, and uh, and you can also get the whole back catalog of our Incredible Hulk show that we did, Absolutely. and all the classic panel up episodes are also on there. So lots of fun stuff to be had over on the patron page, uh, and make sure you visit us online. We're at May the Panel on uh, Twitter and Instagram, mm-hmm. and uh, check out all the other Punch Up Entertainment shows that we've talked about. They're all a lot of fun. They're all equally good. And if you're watching us on YouTube, of course, one of the best ways to help out is hit subscribe, hit like, comment below. Uh, what were your favorite like little Easter eggs in the D&D movie? I didn't talk about a lot of them, but like, yes, there were definitely a ton of moments where I was pointing at the screen going, that's an axe beak. That's an uh, intellect devourer. That's a gelatinous oh, cube. I know these things. The gelatinous cube I knew. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. But that's going to do it for this month's episode of Panel Up. We'll be back to our normal Star Wars format next week. Uh, but I've been John Campbell. And I will always be Mike Gargoni. Till next month, we're going to panel down.